Welcome, everybody. Another episode of FT After Hours. We are live on Facebook. We're trying something new with a new camera here. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, it works. Crazy episode here today. All kinds of things to talk about. So, we'll get right into this. Joining us today in studio, Mike Coolins. Hello, everyone. On the line, our crazy and depressed Canadian, and we'll get into that <laughs> on why, Andre Russo. And our special guest today, if anybody doesn't know him, uh, they will after this, Brendan Schulman. Um, and uh, you're actually, I guess you're the lawyer now for DJI, right? Correct? Well, well technically, I'm in charge of, of global public policy, which is partly law and also you know, working cooperatively with governments. Now, originally, you were kind of on your own, and I think most people actually kind of knew you from the big case with Raphael Perker or Trappy, and that's where we've got to know you, and I think we've talked to you before, actually, and somehow working with DJI now, as you said, you're the vice president of policy and legal affairs. How did that come about? I was curious to how you went from there all the way to the top of the food chain kind of with DJI. (laughs) Well, um, uh, it sounds like you already know I was pretty well known back in 2015 for some of the early advocacy work uh, in the industry, including uh, Trappy's case, but also on behalf of Texas EquiSearch and Gene Robinson. And after that, I did um, some work on behalf of AMA and some other parties concerning FAA uh, matters. And then uh, did that micro UAS proposal for UAS America Fund. Um, so around 2015, uh, DJI was looking for someone to uh, to lead up their legal and, and public policy uh, department, and they, they reached out to me, and we talked about it, and it sounded like a great opportunity. So I t- here I am. Wow, that's, that's interesting. I, I think my first question for you, uh, Brendan, is, is it tough for DJI now with a lot of these uh, countries bringing in their own rules. I'm actually kind of shocked, you know, the the USA of what they did, first of all, and now it seems like a lot of other countries are following suit. And we'll talk about what's going on in Canada here in a minute, because that really kind of blew me out of the water. And I know it did Andre and probably everybody else up north there. But is it tough for a company like DJI being that big on what they're doing is for technology and keeping them uh, safe at the legal end as far as not wanting to get sued? Is that a big problem for them? For DJI, yes, um, it, it's it's not about getting sued. So, yes, I was a lawyer, and some of what I did, uh, but not all of it, involved litigation mm-hmm. disputes. Um, that's not really the case anymore. R- really, the work that I do and and that of the um, the policy department, which has five other people in it at this point, is to work cooperatively and discuss with government, not just the FAA and and Congress, but also the Europeans, uh, the regulators in Japan and elsewhere, you know, what would the appropriate rules and regulations be for model aircraft and, you know, whether you call it model, model aircraft or drones or UAS yes. or anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not about not getting sued. It's about figuring out what policies are appropriate 
for the technology and then working together to, 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 to get that done. Gotcha. So it's really not a big problem. I mean, I would think if I was a company like that and they're selling millions of products and you get a few of those people to come out are not responsible of what they're doing. And I know I have a Phantom 3, obviously, and but we've, I've flown the new, uh, uh, newer Phantoms, the, the new Mavic Pro and everything, and I, and I see what they've changed as far as, hey, I'm flying in this area. You have to uh, consent to fly in this area. I mean, I think they're kind of covering their butt. Um, but somebody has a problem or they do something irresponsible and they get in trouble and then they just go, well, it's not my fault. It's the copter's fault. It flew away. I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing, and it's got its own problem and took off and went through the lady's window. I mean, is that something that they're always kind of worried about, though, that type of problem when they're when somebody's going to blame them? R- really not uh, not the focus of my work. The, the Again, the main uh, things that I work on are trying to set, set up a, a reasonable I, set of rules. Mm-hmm. You, know, thing, you know, there's no electronic or consumer or, or household device that doesn't at some point uh, cause problems and you know well, aren't you rules know, defined like by aren't rules kind of defined by problems though they're created because of problems they, they can be uh, and and not you know in the context of our industry and our hobby as part of the background I left out is that I've been flying radio control for over 20 years so mm-hmm. this is this is a personal passion of mine so right. so uh, part of the challenge and, and the mission is that we don't want the rules to be defined only by the one-off rare incident that happens to hit the news. And that's mm-hmm. the real risk, right? Is that people will yeah. only look at freak accidents or freak uh, occurrences and say, that's what's going on everywhere. We need to regulate against that particular thing. I think that would be the mistake. Right. Yeah. Um, do you think because of the media fear monging and everything that's been going on, especially here in the States with, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't remember the exact number. I wish I wrote it down. Something like 1,247 incidents reported of a possible drone strike. And every one that they investigated came up inconclusive, like there was zero. But, of course, it's out in the media. People see it. There's stuff going on. Um, is, do you think that's part of why the FAA just kind of uh, said, this is what we're doing. We're doing the 250-gram rule, no beyond line of sight. Was it just something that they had to get out there right away to kind of calm everybody that's not in the hobby, that doesn't know what's going on? So uh, there's a certain amount of, of reactionary um, rulemaking and legislation going on out there. Uh, maybe you were referring to the Transport Canada news from last week, but um, with respect to the FAA, they've been pretty good, actually quite good, uh, as of about a year and a half ago at, at bringing stakeholders in and, and talking with us and working together on what would be an appropriate, um, whether it's a registration rule or a rule for flight over people or some other thing. Um, and that's been true of other aviation agencies around the world as well. Other than Transport Canada, which last week surprised us, we can get into that if you like. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> but I think to your, you know, to your question, um, yes, the 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 reports of sightings or near misses, whatever you want to call them, have certainly been driving the the policy response, um, not not just at at aviation agencies, but also at the state and local level. There's a sense that, I mean, I've literally been in meetings with with lawmakers and staff where they've said. I'm reading the headlines, and, mm-hmm. and I just like you're, you're only reading the headlines. The policy is probably not well informed. 
chat. Go ahead, Andre. You got some questions? Yeah, yeah. So on that note, then, like, what's your take on this sudden change? I mean, we we had a minister who basically said, you know, this keeps me up at night. I'm making a change, and bang, it's done. It's there. And like you said, there was no consultation. So what what what's your read on that? Very very similar. I th- I think it, you know there have been a, a series of of news reports out of Canada, including the the Porter Airlines report of a drone at, I, I think, a few thousand feet AGL mm. over the middle of Lake Ontario, where I, I honestly can't imagine a drone was actually flying, at least not a civilian drone, given, yes. the, given the location and altitude. Certainly not one of the, the drones that are that we saw or that are commonly used that have altitude limitation. So, um, you know, and that was, I think, determined by the, by the safety board not to be, um, likely not to be a drone. So that plus other maybe more localized incidents of, of people hitting trees or something has uh, you know, caused a policy reaction, which is not, you know, that's a natural thing. The, the lawmakers mm. respond to um, what they perceive to be safety or, or other concerns of constituents. Uh, I do think there, there's no emergency and there's certainly opportunity to work together on rules that make sense or to improve uh, the set of rules we heard about last week. Um, I, I don't really understand why that didn't take place. In fact, under the statute concerning interim orders, which that was, there's a requirement for the minister to consult with the relevant stakeholders, and, and they didn't. So I, we'll, we'll see where that goes, but mm-hmm. um, that, that was surprising. I don't, I don't perceive there to be an emergency. And, but we do know this is an interim and that they are working on policy that they state it will come out later on this summer. So is, um, you know, is the industry looking for that engagement and that an opportunity to, in, to, to have input and the right to, to uh, put some input into? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we have, um, uh, we, we've done that a little bit. So in 2015, there was a notice of proposed amendment in Canada. We sent in written comments and, and offered to work together. Um, late last year, I think it was November, I sent one of my uh, policy staff members up to talk to the minister's uh, staff uh, in his office, and uh, there was no indication that this was coming uh, or, or an opportunity to work together. So that's that's very disappointing. Yeah. And before, I guess before last week, was... Um was the industry looking at Canada as a leader, as a, as a more of a leadership role? I mean, the, you know, they they were talking lots about the commercial aspect, the uh, the legislation, obviously, or the 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 wording of the ruling and everything um, wasn't as aggressive as aggressive sounding as it is now. Um, I'm sorry, your your question is. Was was Canada uh, a more suitable environment for the industry to work in? Right. Right. Uh, yes. In fact, uh, if you go all the way back to my trappy days, um, I, I often would say just like a couple years ago that Canada was leading the, mm. the industry. They, they had the first set, set of commercial permits, kind of like the exemption process. Um, there was open and, and, and fair use of model aircraft. Um, th- that obviously is very different now. Um, th- it's the U.S., for example, and, and other countries like, like Australia that have a, a set of operational commercial rules that are that are well suited to the risks, um, and, and and even before that, the FAA caught up with the Section 333 exemptions, similar to the Canadian SFOCs, mm-hmm. and um, 
and of course the the rules for recreational operation in the U.S. are reasonable as they are in in Australia and elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, now my my view is obviously very different. You know, with with this change, uh, uh, it seems like Canada is really right at the back of the uh, sort of Western countries with respect to dealing with with rules for UAS operation. Yeah, um, and and did. It- and the uh, the one thing too is that all the documentation, all the forward facing public stuff says drone. But if you dive into the main rules, this is model aircraft. So anything, yeah. same plane, thing here in the states. Quad, yeah, that's you know, what I was so kind of say for our listeners that yeah. maybe didn't read these articles. What are the limitations before we get too far into yeah. this? Because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little law. I mean, I understand there's limitations now in Canada, but I don't know what all of them that they set out in this article that you guys referred to. Yeah, and if uh, Andre, you want to actually listeners. got a couple posts here that some people not even sure what's going on up yeah, there. Yeah, so, so we need a, some kind of base. That... So basically, uh, the rules, the rules were already well. No, they, they were recommendations. Um, so basically, it's uh, there's a weight. So minimum of two hundred, you know, two hundred fifty grams up to thirty five grams. As far as this is all the recreational stuff. Um, uh, basically, if, if you're flying at a Mac field, which is the equivalent of the AMA, you're you're good to go. Otherwise, it's you know you can't fly over three hundred feet. Um, you basically, which is we always had that 90 meters. Uh, you, the biggest, the newer stuff is you have to be 75 meters or 250 feet away from buildings, structures, vehicles, vessels, animals, uh, and public, spe- uh, you know, spectators, bystanders, and so on. Uh, and, the, you know, no one else is allowed to be inside that bubble while you're operating your aircraft. Um, nine kilometers out of any kind of aerodrome. Um, that's that's a big one because they list helicopter pads, small private pads, and everything. And you look at some of the urban areas, uh, say example in Toronto, that basically means you cannot fly within those spots. So that was the big distance change because I think it was six kilometers previously. Um, obviously, you can't. This is stuff that was already existing. Can't fly within restricted airspace. Can't fly mm-hmm. within control. Airspace, stay away from forest fires. These are some of the logical yeah, things. Right. Uh, you know, can't fly within security or emergency zones, uh, and and it goes on. Uh, some of the additional ones are you can't fly at night and you can't fly within clouds, which some of them made sense. And uh, you know, and you have to have your line of sight people with you if you're flying FPV, and you can't go you know, for any further distance than uh, line of sight rules is 500 meters now. So. Mm-hmm. And it goes on. We're going to throw all these links. We'll throw all the Transport Ledge Canada links into the uh, description on the video or sorry, the podcast. Right. Were you so, kind there of, you go, Mike. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brendan, were you kind of surprised, though, that uh, Canada uh, followed right behind us here with all the rules and regs? You know, not – I mean, they're pretty much exactly right to, to all what we have here in the States. Well, they're not. They're not the same, right? and and that that's the real concern. They're, they're, Sounds they're, more limiting. Well, they are a little bit more limiting, but some of those you already had in place anyway, like the altitude and, and that. Correct. Yes. No. <laughs> so so um, the four hundred foot altitude limit is an FAA guideline. It's actually not a regulation, and there's a reason uh-huh, for that. That's, and that's because uh, AMA uh, pointed out years ago that there are people who fly turbine jets and and um sailplanes that routinely have to travel above those altitude limits now i that however 400 feet is a reasonable 
maximum limit for for most operations, most uh, you know sort of non-commercial operations. And I I, I support that 300 feet or or uh, what is it 90 meters? That mm-hmm. that's also probably reasonable. Um, yeah. As is a line of sight rule uh, and, and a few other things in the in the Transport Canada order, but not flying within 75 meters of a building or animals or vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that's very limiting, uh, even when those operations are safe. Also, the airport parameters. So in the States, um, it's fi- if you're within five miles of an airport, you have to notify the airport. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. The, the new Canadian regulation seems not to have that uh, pathway to flying or even a, a permission. So I saw an article already, I think, in the CBC of uh, northern communities in Canada, all yeah. of which... Are within are around an airport. airport. The airport is not frequently used, but even if they coordinated and talked to the airport about it, There's the regulation there. seems to say they can't do it. That doesn't make sense, and it's far more restrictive. So I, I would not say these are comparable Good to point. the American regulations and are, and are much more restrictive. Wow. Yes. Not good. There are there also, are entire so, zones. The, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. The, the night, you know, night. There's no prohibition on night operations, and I, you know, I know many people who fly safely at night. Most. Quadcopters have lights on them. Mm-hmm. Um, less manned air traffic at night. So you know that's another point where there's a there's a difference. There's no restriction on night operations for recreational users in the U.S. There is under Part 107 for effectively commercial operations, but that's different. Hmm. In a real world, well, I shouldn't say real world, but in your world, Brendan, what would you like? To, I mean, what do you think is reasonable? As far as the rules and regular, what would you like to see or be Im- implemented? Or is there, is there any rule currently that you're working maybe <laughs> against at this point that you feel is too limiting for the U.S., for example? Uh, that's one question I had. So, first of all, I, 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 I think a lot of these things should come for, you know, that that's a great question to ask the community. And, um, you know, I may have my own idea or DJI may have its own idea, but I, I really... I think the, the piece that was missing from this Canadian news was where's the consultation with the people who are affected? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so one option, and I'll, maybe I'll, you know, just we we are supporting this new grassroots network called Node, no, Network of Drone Enthusiasts. And I, originally, sort of, the idea was that was going to help advocate for reasonable rules and regulations at the local or maybe the state level as people come together and they just they decide on what the rules should be. I'm not. You know, I, I don't make the rules. I just mm-hmm. educate lawmakers uh, and, and point out things that are not necessarily uh, uh, helpful. So if you sign up for Node, I think it's nodecampaign.org, uh, they are now thinking of doing something in Canada. You know, this is a surprise. I don't think it was anticipated um, to have to do something in Canada, but it clearly makes sense for, for your Canadian viewers to to at least consider joining that campaign and doing something and then it's the voice of the community in terms of what the rules should be but personally speaking i i think that the you know the rules in section 336 are reasonable if you're, if you're that close to an airport notify mm-hmm. um now i think there's a lack of clarity about what kinds of airports and we could do better in terms of saying well yeah. an abandoned unused heliport is not you know there's no one there to notify so we should we need to do something about distinguishing different types of airports so there's improvement there but generally it makes sense uh you 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 fly within visual line of sight you're not careless and reckless you know they're the common sense rules the rules that make sense and are easy to understand are what lead people to want to comply when you have when you have like broad bands like don't fly within 
um, you know, within a certain distance of, of animals. I mean, there there are birds everywhere. So how right. do you, how do you I know. fly yeah. within so 75 yeah. meters of a bird? Right. It's probably possible. So it, it leads to disdain and mockery. And that's not good for the, if you're a regulator, you don't want people to think your rules are ridiculous. Yeah. I th- I'm worried that's what's going to happen right. in Canada. Yeah, I mean, I can see Andre out there flying in uh, a park away from everybody, and here comes a lady with her dog, and, you know, he's already up in the air cruising around, and she might have seen the rules and regulations on the news, and then boom, you know, she makes a little phone call because she thinks Andre's uh, flying illegal. Well, I, you know, I, look, I'm not providing legal advice, but ironically, it seems like one way out of that is just to, just to go up, right? Because then you're with, you know, as long as you're 75 meters above. Yeah. Uh, those things, you seem to be outside of that ban. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, this kind of forces everyone to fly higher, which is generally not a good idea. Yeah, you shouldn't fly higher than you need to. Yeah, I've got twenty-five meters of bandwidth at that point, right? Uh, you know, to 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 manage this this issue. Uh, Transport Canada actually on their uh, social media, they they people were pressing, "What do you mean by animals?" And they came back and said, "Oh, it's it's things like livestock." So mm. the, the 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 wording needs to be flushed out. Um, a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends are like. You know, what are we going to do? How do I, how do I, how do I deal with this public issue? And I said, well, this is the problem right now. The rules, we can, we can work within these rules. We can adjust them. Obviously they're not ideal, but we can still fly. I can still go out and fly, but I have to now have my, um, uh, the identification on anything I fly that's over 250 grams. So that's my name, my address, my phone number, possibly my, you know, my, my Mac, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, a number on it and stuff like that uh, and that's one of the things they they stipulate in the new rules and if you're caught without that three thousand dollar fine um so we I, look i i'm supportive of of accountability you know no totally totally on, yes yeah your name or some kind of number contact information on the drone or model aircraft is appropriate it it's an ama rule as well you know the registration requirement that was put in in late 2015 in the u.s is reasonable. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but you know the underlying policy goal was not objectionable. And when I was on the registration task force, the the goal there was was you know let's make this reasonable. Let's make it electronic, instant. We recommended free registration. Uh, they ended up charging five dollars for three years for any number of drones. That's pretty good. So it's almost free, not quite free. Uh, but really, that that turned out pretty well. And and putting your name on on the model in Canada seems like just like a way to do almost the same thing without having that whole system set up. They, the FAA had to scramble to get their computer system up in just a couple months to support registration. Remember that in late 2015, the only kind of registration that existed for aircraft was a carbon copy form that you'd send to Oklahoma, and you'd wait months for it to come back. Uh, it, it, still five dollars, but otherwise that was all a disaster. So. So we moved the FA to to thinking differently, doing electronically, yeah. uh, and and that that was a good result. To the extent Canada wants to do something similar, I'm supportive of that. If you just write your name uh, on or inside the the model aircraft, that seems to serve the same purpose. I am a little concerned though that they want your address. Like when the drone lands in someone else's backyard, you don't really. I mean, in today's, yeah. you don't want them knocking on your door and yelling at you, right? There's a confrontation issue. I think it would have been enough to have name and phone number, but yeah. that's me. Yeah, I, and the advice I've been giving a lot of people right now is: look, print off that they did a cheat sheet. I said, print that off, 
have your address and everything. I'm probably going to laminate a card to stick in the plane as I fly, and then I can transfer for each one of them so I don't have to mark it up because if I sell my airplane, I don't want my name written all over it, and anybody's buying an airplane. Um, and so that's that's the piece of advice I'm giving right now, and you know, uh, I'm starting to find if I can fly you know, some 250-gram airplane so I can just go out and go. I, I think it's going to be a big public perception thing that's got that is going to have to be worked on because where I fly, no, I'm not a name, uh, sorry, a Mac field, you know, that's like 30 minutes drive away. That just doesn't work. I like to go out, fly a battery or two and go home and, and carry on with my day. Right. That's, that's the beauty of behind this brand new hobby for us. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of public perception work to be done after the way this, this was done or brought down. So, um, I guess, do you have any suggestions to people when, when, if they are confronted and how to deal with that issue? Well, I don't, I've been saying this for years. I don't have legal advice for people who are not clients. But I, look, I think be, being polite and civil and, and, you know, is always the best way to go. Don't escalate. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of misunderstandings, you know, about drones. Are you spying on me? What are you doing? You, you always, you don't need to win an argument, you know, at the park. Just, no, you know, honestly, pack up, come back another time. Um, I I think is the you know until people get used to the technology and I mean we we just issued a report. I don't know if you saw it last week. Um, finding that drones have saved fifty nine li- at least fifty nine lives in the past two years. Uh, you know that's good news. Um, most of the news about drones is bad or at least provocative, right. and so whole society learns about the benefits of the technology. By the way, a third of those lives saved were, were with the help of consumers, like just by mm-hmm. just normal people, not not emergency uh, rescuers who had a drone already, but just a consumer who had it and was helping them out. So that's great news, and there's a lot more great news coming, I believe. But for now, the public is negative, so they probably have a misunderstanding of what you're doing. So explain and, and inform. And I, I think there's a proactive uh, thing that we all need to do, which is go out to your city council, go out to your local news station and show them what the technology is, what people are doing with it. If you have a business, talk about that. If you just love making art from the air, sh- show them. I- I've seen the occasional good story in the local news, but... but Not I, enough, yeah. Yeah, that's probably like nine to one in terms of the ratio of bad news, not bad or provocative or f- uh, fear-mongering news versus um, good news. So that that's something we can all do. And, and certainly we, you know, as DJI, in my position now at DJI, we've been trying to do that we've got the report on live saved and and we've got other stuff in the works as well and we do a lot of you know the in our youtube channel we've told stories about saving the whales search and rescue firefighting uh, all, all those kinds of things are, are great to talk about right and you know mike uh we've seen it a hundred times where we fly it's kind of in a local park behind a high school and even in the early days when the uh the police the jackson police used to come around once they seen what we were flying and how, you know, things we were doing and they, I talked to them and they're, they're just, they were so intrigued. It's not the like they, yeah, yeah they, they weren't. weren't coming by going, you know, what are you boys doing and blah, blah, blah. But once we talked to them, they were like, oh, this is really cool. You know, look, it's electric, it's foam. Then obviously when we got into the drones and I, I have to fan them out, we're doing some aerial shots when we're getting air to air stuff. How many people just out, whether walking their dog or jogging or whatever, come over and they're they're kind of standoffish for a while but once you're like hey come on over check this out 
we put some goggles on them or something, or we fly around, we show them what we're doing, and, and they are so intrigued and their their whole perspective changes instantly. Yeah. And I would say 99% of the time, that's usually what happens. And it's crazy. And on the topic of fire and rescue, I know my buddy Justin, he's bought a lot of uh, UAS or uh, the DGI products right. to do that. Right. He's doing that, I know. Yep. He wants to use that more going forward for those type of rescue missions and things. Right. So he's definitely look, looking in and doing his research on it. So it's a lot of good things for sure. Um, okay, Brandon, I don't know how much you could talk about this, but I wanted to touch base on the FPV stuff. I mean, where can we go with this or what can we do? I mean, we're, obviously we're limited right now, but they don't, the FAA at least here doesn't seem to really be pressing the issue too hard with, you know, still doing the FPV racing. I, you know, people are still flying FPV at least around where we're at. Um, so it's not a big deal now, but could it be, could they start cracking down on this stuff or what, what do you think is going to happen with the FPV? Is anything going to change with the rules and regulations? Okay. A couple things. First, let, let me just get a quick comment into your last point. So, uh, you're absolutely right. When people see the technology, uh, they, they tend to think it's cool and they're fascinated once mm-hmm. they realize, once they literally just see it, I, you know, I've brought from our, I brought our drones, like the most recently the Mavic into meetings with staff and legislators and they're like oh that's the drone that's cool i've never seen one <laughs> right so i've got this bill yeah uh, that, that affects this drone. Regulated. Yeah. so so just a further encouragement like that's right not enough to just be in your park flying it around literally make a meeting with people in city hall take the drone in and say i want you guys to know before the bill is on once someone has written a bill they love it right like it's like their baby so you go in talk about the legislation mm-hmm. talk about the technology before the legislation hits your town. Uh, and also, again, if you sign up with that node campaign, um, that's a way to bring pe- other people in the same location together and you go and you do a meeting together. Maybe one person's commercial, doing real estate photography, someone else is a hobbyist, someone else is a teacher. That's how you get good results locally. You educate lawmakers. Now on the FPV point, um, yeah, I mean, I've been following that issue for a while since mid 2014. Uh, I know the interpretation that has been a concern. I was on flight test Mm-hmm. I was there. Um, um, what was it like around the same time to talk about it? Yeah, uh, F is motivated by safety, and so you know if they see a safety problem or there's an incident, they're going to step in at that point, do an investigation, possibly take enforcement action. I don't think they have the resources or interest in just running around trying to shut stuff down that's that's educational or productive or safe. So you know I, there's there's uncertainty right now, of course, in in how you read statutory language and the rules, that kind of thing. Uh, but I, you know, I've been at drone races where the FAA people are standing there and they're supportive. I, I don't think that the people who are there today want to stop safe, beneficial, or even fun activities. Uh, hopefully when they get around to revising that interpretation from 2014, mm-hmm. there'll be something in there that, that allows that more clearly allows what people are doing, but I, it just seems to me if you're if you're being safe, if you have a spotter watching the the, the airspace, um, that by the way is the same thing with Part 107. You can fly under yes. Part 107, right? With a vice, you know, with your certificated pilot next to you, um, that's fine. So uh, again, I you know again I can't give legal advice, but certainly the practical advice seems to be be safe, and the FAA is not resourced or interested in just giving you a hard time. Um, although occasionally you'll run into sort of a local 
person, maybe a FISDO inspector who, mm-hmm. you know, isn't, isn't fully knowledgeable. And that can be very frustrating. But for the most part, I think it's, I think word's getting out that, that, that FPV and racing are sort of good, you know, productive and, and, and fun things to do that can be done safely, even though you have goggles on your, on your eyes. I mean, I, I, I do it myself, yes. um, you know, and, and that's, and it's, it's great. And I was recently in a meeting where I, someone from the FAA was there and I, I had a, a blade inductrix FPV and I said, here, let, let, me, let me give you a ride. And yeah. he was blown away. Like, this is so cool. So again, ed- educate. And I think as the technology, um, percolates out there, we'll, we'll see something reasonable come out. Mm-hmm. I hope. And, right. and if not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down there often talking to them about being reasonable. So if things go in a bad direction, I'll, I'll do my best to try to, um, get improvement. Hmm. All right. I, I don't know if there's anything you could really answer about this. And I, I might know your answer just because, uh, you know, you're kind of involved with DJI and you want to see them get their products out there. But one of the big things I have a problem with, and we've talked about a hundred times and even a lot of people kind of disagree, you know, flight tests and me and, you know, I'm real good friends with David Vindenstoll. So I've been around the FPV stuff really since the beginning, you know, in the early days when it didn't work real good and we were in 900 megahertz and, you know, David was building his own tricopters. And, but I had, I had a problem and I still kind of do have a problem where you get these just normal everyday off the street people. They're like, Hmm, I think it'd be cool to have a quadcopter. No, nothing about rules and regulations, anything at all. And they can walk right into a Best Buy or get online at a B and H photo or whatever and buy a DJ phantom or or something similar and come home take it right out of the box think it's completely full foolproof and go out and do whatever they want with it and i've seen it happen many many times do you think that's a good thing that they're you know selling these products in places where there's no education or nothing that uh gives them any information about the rules and regulations um I think education is important, and I, I I disagree that there's no education. So when they buy it, in the box, we're putting the know-before-you-fly material on screen the first time you load it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's there's general safety information. Um, it starts off in beginner mode, which is limited to 100 feet up and 100 feet out. Um, and, and there's we have educational videos. Right. We've got – I have an, another thing in development that I, I can't yet announce that mm-hmm. will further – ensure that people are educated so yeah. I, and I, oh of course when you register as you're supposed to uh, and you're told to register you get that screen yes. with the rules and you have to right. sort of you know i acknowledge i saw it so um i think the education is taking place even though you can just walk into a store and buy one um we certainly you know we could always do more and we are doing more we um i and i i think that the word the word's getting out because for the most part like Yes, you'll probably see or hear about an occasional person doing something wrong, um, but there's so many drones, not just ours, but out there, and and yet there's no fatality anywhere in the world that we've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, serious injuries, uh, if they've happened, are extremely rare. Right. Uh, I think for the most part, people are flying responsibly, and we have technology to help them. We have the altitude limitation. Mm-hmm. We have our GPS-based geofencing that at least by default, keeps them out of places that might cause trouble. Um, so I, I think between the education that exists and, and more that's coming uh, and the technology, things are pretty safe, even though people can walk into a store and just buy one and fly the same day. 
Yeah, and I agree with you there. DJI probably in the last two years is far as front. Yes, yeah. for what they're doing and the information and everything they are. Because, um, like I said, just between my Phantom Three Pro to to buying a Mavic or something, what they've done with the app and the information and everything, it's it's completely. But maybe the day. other products aren't up to that but, level. Yeah, you know? that was kind of my thing. Yeah. There are a lot of other companies out there that are just not up to that level with their information. It just seems like they want to get their product out there and and go, but. I don't know. Well, that that's uh, and and that's a concern. Look, I I don't believe in technology mandates. Even though we could most easily comply, well, not easily. We we we'd be in the best position to comply with, let's say, a geofencing mandate. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. I think it's wrong to mandate any particular technology in a device. Now, you can mandate rules. You can keep people responsible. Um, but you know, one of the things from last year's FA legislation in Congress uh, is a requirement. A legal requirement to put the rules into the box. So the FAA is coming up with a, basically a product insert and it'll be legally mandated for all companies selling drones to have that in the box. Um, so certainly the, the idea that there should be educational materials at the point of sale or like inside the box when you, when you open it uh, is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, when it gets to things like out, um, uh, technology, uh, then, then we have a, a sort of a, this tricky, I think, issue to think about in terms of, well, the technology needs to be flexible, right? We don't want to just turn them off uh, in, let's say, wildfire locations because the firefighters or even the bystanders, like in our Assistant, report, are yeah. in a position to help. So we don't want to just turn it off. Um, but I think there's some balance there. And certainly I, I would encourage you know, other manufacturers to uh, at least provide educational information you know you know steer people to there are plenty of resources the know before you fly campaign i think has dozens of of members now that's really not a heavy lift Mm -hmm. okay one of my last questions i don't want to keep you too long i know you're probably busy and it's sunday and we appreciate you (laughs) coming on okay now we're seeing this huge change in the 250 gram kind of well not the rule itself but these companies are getting better and better and better at getting this stuff under 250 grams that where we can just go out and have fun. We don't have to worry about it. Two questions. One, do you think here down the road that they're going to have to change that, or do you think they want to change the 250-gram rule? Or do you think they're going to let it go and we're just going to – the technology is going to get better and we're not going to have to worry about it and we're going to fly our stuff that's under 250 grams? So the 250 grams was the – threshold that was recommended by the registration task force for registration. We had, we, we had three days to come up with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's some math in it, but it was based on a lot of assumptions. Um, we, DJI, I and our, our director of technical standards, Walter Stockwell, who's based in Silicon Valley, wrote a technical paper. We released it. Actually, I think we released it a couple weeks ago. Um, showing that that's the wrong number in terms of a lowest risk category. If you use the same uh, safety analysis, but put in real world adjustments, size of the drone, drag, how, how quickly it falls, you end up with something more like two kilograms. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, depending, so depending on what your, what your policy safety goal is, that, that weight should probably change. And we've seen other countries like Australia and until recently Canada, Mexico, India, uh, also pick like a two kilogram 
um, basically deregulated or, or lightly regulated category. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, 250, the only thing 250 um, grams does for you is just decide, just a determination whether you do or don't have to register. And we were careful in the registration task force report to say that's the only thing that weight should apply to because we haven't done the analysis that would inform whether that's the right weight for anything else like do you need a license or not? Uh, do you need technology or not? Uh, speed limits, anything like that was just outside of, of the very simple thing we needed to do in November of 2015 was figure out what what are we going to register? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, people competing to be under 250 grams, okay, that gets you out of registration, but technically it doesn't get you out of anything else. You still need to fly safely. If you're a part one, if you want to do commercial work, you still mm-hmm. should go to part seven. So nothing... The only thing you're saving yourself by by buying a product under 250 grams is five dollars uh, every three years. Uh, and by the way, if you have even one drone, you're going to fly over 250 grams. Then you so got to register true. anyway. So really, yeah. all you're saving is a sticker on that on that particular drone, and may, maybe some idea that you aren't giving your information to the government. So I, I I don't actually understand why there's such obsession about that number because it doesn't being under that number doesn't really do much for you at at, at this point in time because the 250 grams doesn't limit you or, or restrict what you can actually do with the drone. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I didn't look at it in you know that angle, actually. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, Andre, did you have any more questions? For I have a couple more, but uh, I know I'm clogging up his time here. Did you have anything else, Andre? Did you? No, I'm. Uh, no, I'm. I think we've had a pretty good conversation. Uh, we will definitely be adding your uh, your your uh, your information in the um, the the Node group. Uh, sounds like something I will have to uh, research. And uh, it sounds like it's going to be a busy summer as far as learning and everything. I don't think I was expecting to. Uh, I don't think a lot of us were expecting that this was going to happen this in this manner. So um, it certainly changes a lot of things. Uh, at the same time, um, I, I have to say I got a lot of encouraging emails between Friday and now saying, you know, people going, you know, don't give up kind of thing. Um, so it's, uh, you know, because I sat there and went, well, I have this beautiful P4 and I feel like I don't know if I want to go and fly it because I'm not sure what's going to happen, you know, kind of feeling. So, uh, so Brent, I want to thank you because uh, it was um, it was really good to be able to talk to you and listen to some of your advi- your your suggestions and feedback on the situation. So, and um, well, hopefully, um, uh, you guys will have some positive impact as well as uh, the Canadians that we will have to, uh, you know, the the fellow pilots will have to uh, gather up and figure something out. Obviously. Yeah, well, look, don't don't, don't give up. Uh, mm-hmm. no. We're already working on that, and and I, you know, it is an interim order, so that means at some point there will be a sort of more permanent opportunity, yeah. and that's an opportunity for improvement. And you know, in in the meantime, we we will be working to to urge the minister uh, to do something more reasonable with the regulations. So stay tuned on that as well. And and you know, again, the note campaign is one way to bring people together. Um, so that the community can have a voice, and, and we're supporting that as well. And Perfect. I had one question. Go ahead, Mike. Too. I was just wondering, uh, as far as U.S. policy, are you working on any plans currently to help the hobbyists and anything that you feel is too limiting, just out of curiosity? Every single day. Um, <laughs> Anyone in particular come to so, mind so, that's a, so, a tough one under you that you, you're like, it sticks you a little bit, and you're like agitated by it, and you're, you're which one's the top of your list, list yeah as far as trying to make better for the hobbyists right right now 
Yeah. Um, there's so. I mean, I actually think at the FAA and federal level, we're quiet for a while, although there will be legislation this summer, like there was last summer on the FAA reauthorization. So um, we'll, we'll engage on that. Um, but my main point of concern right now is is the state and local legislation. There's just a lot of it. Some of it's okay and, and welcome and reasonable and, and problem solving. A lot of it is not. Um, last year, we saw 300 state bills, almost 300 st state bills. That's a lot. Um, we're probably on track to about the same this year as well. Um, so, and that I couldn't even just tell you like, here's one thing sure. that's a problem because there's so many different the states have uh, yeah. proposals. So really, so really important to engage locally at state and local level. Um, one of the ways I'm trying to help figure out a solution because I I, I believe in working together on solutions is the I'm on the drone advisory committee, um, and uh, one of the topics that we're looking at, and I'm actually co-chair of a task group that is been asked by the FAA to come up with possible recommendations on a better approach to governing roles and responsibilities. So, you know, traditionally aviation is federal, it's preempted, you may have heard the word preemption, right? So it's preempted by the federal government because aviation really needs to be standard across the country. Um, drones are a little different, right? They fly very locally, um, they take off and land anywhere. So, uh, and they raise different concerns. Um, so there's, and there's been a lot of interest, as I said, in, uh, in legislating locally some things that make sense, some things that don't conflict with each other and it would cause a lot of confusion. So this group, uh, and we're actually meeting for two full days next week, and we've already met for six days, uh, is, is trying to figure out, okay, what, you know, is there some consensus-based recommendation for how to deal with local, reasonable and, and, and legitimate local concerns while at the same time preserving national set of rules and licensing and technology standards? And trying to bring those things together and and maybe make a recommendation. So hopefully we'll come up with something so that we don't have endless local proposals that might be preempted and subject mm -hmm. to legal challenge. And just like we don't really want endless court battles uh, over these things in every state. Uh, so that that's the main concern, and that's one reason, really the reason we're supporting the Node campaign because that that is a way to get you out there. Um, uh, talking to what's right for your community. It may, it may differ from one place to another, at least on certain things, even while maintaining the, the um, federal standards for the rules. Um, so that, you know, yeah. there's a whole Makes bunch sense. of things in, in local proposals that I, I think raise concerns. Probably the most fundamental is things like don't, you know, rules against taking f photographs with a drone, like the, the assumption that you're invading privacy just by using a drone. I think th those tend to be the worst proposals. There's a First Amendment problem uh, with that, uh, and there's discrimination against this technology. There, we all have other cameras too. So th you know, those are the proposals that we often advocate against specifically, but it really varies a lot. Yeah, one that comes to my mind, everybody's always worried about their privacy and having cell phones everywhere. It's like, they don't worry about that. It's uh, like, you know, you can discreetly so take pictures. I'll be I'll be honest because I'm I'm always honest that the, the there's a difference right so the cell phone is in your hand if someone mm -hmm. doesn't like that you're taking their picture they can ask you politely to stop a lot of times they don't me. know it though is my point yeah well okay there so a hidden be. camera you're right <laughs> but so the thing that's always true about a drone is that it's remotely controlled so you can't always tell who's flying it and you don't know what they're doing and that whether that makes it no I understand the difference is it's just the privacy yeah. issue that I'm talking about <laughs> necessarily they don't I, know that they're being 
videoed by a phone all the time is what I was getting at. Oh, but you're right. So yeah, as far as privacy. And the and the crazy thing is is when I get that person or people that I'm personally I'm more concerned about cell phone cameras than I am drone cameras. Well, I'm just personally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> but it 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 is funny when you. You know, sometimes I just even let them take the controls of the Phantom. You know, as long as I'm right there, they can't hurt anything. And I let them fly it around a little bit or I put them under the goggles or whatever. And they're blown away. They're like, wow, this is so different than what I thought it was going to be. You know, because that is one of their big concerns a lot of times is, I, you know, I don't want them flying around me or my house or spying on me and this and that, you know. First off, they see when it's kind of close how loud it really is. And it's like, well, yeah, it's not like it's. You know, you got to be concerned with up on going somebody. down the future, though, that things are going to probably have telescoping capabilities mm. and things like that that we're not ex- exposed to as a consumer yet. But it's, it's going to be there. And that, be. That, that's where privacy would could probably be. come down the road. But it does change their mind, you know, initially when you get them under the goggles, you let them fly it and see what what we're doing and how it's being done. It completely changes yeah. their oh, mind. Oh, no. Yeah. Most times everything we've seen was positive. Yes. Yeah. Once they get their hands on it. Right. For sure. Right. Um. Last question for you before we let you go, because I'm very curious. Uh, Brendan, how often do you get to go out and just fly yeah, and have fun? The fun part of it. And <laughs> what do you really like to fly? I mean, I, what's he in mentioned your, the inductors, which was yeah, cool. I, know. I was like, yes, I'm That's on board awesome. with that. But I mean, what's in your stable? What do, what do you like? Oh, boy. So I'm I'm sitting here <laughs> near New York and, and <laughs> snow on the ground. Um <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> my, my time for flying is 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 more limited, um, but I do. Um, I actually like fast fixed wing sport model aircraft. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, like see, um, that's where I want to go what, to too. The Hangar Nine what was it Sundowner? Yeah. And um, I have it needs some fixing, but I have um, a Jackal prop jet that I clocked it at like 130 miles an hour. That's fun. <laughs> wow. Uh, the uh, and lately I've been doing a lot, you know, sort of more of the FPV racing. So I've got a um, Vortex 250 Pro that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Which you were uh, the induct- FPV is is fun around the office. I've I've been flying around. You know, that, isn't that's it amazing how you can punch through things with that thing? <laughs> yeah, it's that's awesome. been a good winter uh, w- winter thing for the office. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's sort of a so it's a mix of like like fast sport fixed wing stuff and um, FPV quads, and then just depending on what mood, I often have a like a dilemma like what I, I have limited time like what yeah. am I going to take with me? And sometimes it's both like I'll go to there's a club field about ten or fifteen minutes from my house, and I'll take like um, something like the, the the Splendor, which is an electric sport pattern plane, and mm-hmm. like the FPV quad and sort of fly them both like al- alternatively yep. until something breaks. Until something breaks, exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. Now, does DJI give you free products? Do they say, here you go, here's a Mavic, <laughs> here's a Phantom 4 Pro? Um, I'm not in this for free stuff. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it happens, no, though, yeah, right? I, I have access to... If there's something I want to fly, I can certainly borrow it from the office. I, I don't have like a pile of free stuff. That's not really, um, that's not really the thing. But the, right. the cool thing was I do get to fly stuff uh, uh, before um, anyone knows about it. So mm-hmm. the Mavic Pro, gosh, I was 
I was able to do an indoor test flight of that, like, I don't know, maybe a, a year before it came out or so. It was a prototype, but, yeah. was, you know, you could see it coming. It's really exciting to see. Oh, man, like, that the, thing is amazing. Technology before, before anyone else does. So that to me, that's much cooler. Yes, than I agree with you. Right. Saving a few hundred dollars on, on a on a Phantom is to be able to to see what's coming and and, and test it and kind of help with the development uh, of it and offer my suggestions. So as a as a two decade modeler, like mm-hmm. that's the cool yes. piece. Yes. Not, yes. But like I get to be involved in development a little bit. Totally agree with that. Hundred percent. Well, Brandon, uh, we appreciate actually you know talking with you and listening to what you had to say. You've changed a few views on things that I thought, you know, that, and that I was wrong on. So that, that was very interesting for me. Uh, we appreciate your time. Yes. Uh, Brendan Solomon, everybody, uh, vice president of policy and legal affairs at DJI. Thank you very much. Uh, if anything changes or something comes up, we'd love to have you back sure. on, uh, to talk about it. Cause it, I think it is very informative. You know, you, you read something and you get an idea in your head and you kind of explain it a little better. Um, of the why it was done and you know what can you know what can change and I, I think it's very helpful for everybody out there. I appreciate it. Yes, we appreciate your efforts for sure. We do. Wow, well, th- th- thank you. Always a pleasure to be on. I've been watching the show for I don't know how many years, so it, it's great. Um, thank you again for the opportunity. All right. Well, Thanks. hey, get the inductrix, charge up some yeah. batteries, and crank around <laughs> a little bit today, and enjoy your Sunday. Yes. Okay. All right. You take too. care. Thanks. All right. Thank you very See much. Ya. All right, Brendan Solomon, everybody. What do you think? Very good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Oh man, I, he actually, uh, he, you know, he cleared up things. Yeah, yes. he uh, knows his stuff for sure. I mean, I was wrong on a few things, and um, from from my take on, he seems like the U- USA or the FAA has done good. Uh, I mean, from what I'm getting from his take on it, most things were done appropriately. Right for the United States, obviously not Canada. You think? Yeah, so a, a conversation more. was had where in yeah the they did it the right where way. Whereas we have not had this conversation. Yeah. There hasn't been an opportunity. Yeah. There was actually no pre-announcement or anything like that. It was here new rules. It done. was one guy's idea, so, and it's like done. You know, and that's yeah. not the way to handle policies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That affect everyone. All right. Well, that was uh, that was almost uh, intense, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not our normal, but I mean, everybody has listened, and and I, I I will say this now, I received a ton of feedback, a ton of positive message, and everything, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, Thursday and Friday, I was a pretty uh, grumpy guy. I understand um, wholeheartedly. And, yeah, yeah. How and, many uh, how many times have we when we were going through this, we, exactly. all of us talked about but this is done. even worse. I mean, what they did to yeah. Canada is what what were worse than what we were dealing with. It sounds. Well, yeah. ho- hopefully, like us, think you know, give it a month or so, let things settle down. And it is a what is it interim? So it's temporary yes. type thing right now. Well, hopefully, there's going to be further. There's going to be they they are developing their response. Um, what I didn't like was the fact that the you know it was uh, the the tone was was very negative. I found very. Very un-Canadian was the uh, was the word I used or the description I used, mm-hmm. and very sudden. So yeah, you were the leader, yeah. and now you took like ten steps back. It's like what? Well, yeah, <laughs> it's like, crazy. I mean, I was there has, I was there just still shocked stopped. that they kind of went did the exact same thing we did here. Well, actually, I found I was even kind of worse. I oh, mean, it is worse. Yeah, <laughs> reading it, I didn't. Yeah, didn't. I guess it didn't register, but yeah. I'm, 
actually pretty shocked. I mean, animals, there. really? <laughs> That's like, what you, could, you can't do it. It's impossible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't All know. Right. Are we going to talk about something else? Yeah. Oh, yeah let's get off that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, well, uh, thanks for joining us. We're trying out uh, Periscope Live here. So it is Periscope or Facebook. Or I'm sorry. I'm so messed. So how yeah. do we migrate all our Periscope viewers to right. this Hopefully this they'll slowly start migrating oh, gosh, over. I hope. Um, but this is. I almost feel like going on Periscope briefly and just say, go to Facebook. <laughs> and then, you know, we're there. Yeah. So we're trying out a uh, new camera here. And, and this is if it's working. I haven't seen any complaints or anything yet. Everything seems to be working smoothly, uh, so that's sh- nice. Mike, don't have my hex. Because we already had issues earlier this morning. Uh, oh, no. Things weren't working. I was panicking, sweating. Oh, gosh. Um, but, yeah, okay, let's talk a little bit. As you guys can see, uh, I kind of put up there, it's, this is actually our last flight test after hours podcast. Um after we get through here, our next podcast, we'll get into more detail and in-depth of what we would like to do and things were – it's a whole other podcast. We're not going to really – but what I'm going to say, and we'll talk a little bit about it more later, is it's been kind of a mutual decision. And this is a big decision. This isn't something we just like all of a sudden said, ah, we're done. You know, we're not doing this anymore. It's actually – if. You guys know because I talk to you all the time, but it's it's even like for a while I was like I think I'm done. I don't I'm not sure I even want to do the podcast anymore. You know, it was it was a big tough decision to kind of go out on our own uh, and do you know as, as you can see now I kind of I'm all in. Bought some equipment, sold airplanes to <laughs> to buy, bought some podcast equipment. We're gonna give it a shot. I don't know if it's gonna work. I don't know how long it'll last. I don't know how long you will last or Andre. I don't know. This is all gonna be a guessing game. But we are gonna go out and try to do our own thing. I think it could be a fun, fun uh, experience. It, it might be. People really might do, hate us. I, I don't know. It's uh, a big gamble. A lot of a lot of nerves in the stomach. Yeah, and uh, if anybody's noticed, even late last night, we're 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 changing the name. Obviously, we are now gonna uh, in the next couple of weeks, the whole changeover process is gonna happen. We're now gonna be called RC After Hours instead of FT After Hours, and we had a big long talk with Bixler. I mean, it's not like this is a surprise or anything. Uh, everything's good. We still have a really good relationship and. We've even talked about even possibly doing some stuff in the future with flight tests. So it's not like we're just like, ah, we're gone. See yeah. you later. You know, it's not like that. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea or anything like that. Um, just real quick, though, I was for a while, I was very adamant. I wanted to keep the FT after hours name just because we've had it for so long and everybody kind of knew knew us as that. But after having a long conversation with Josh Bixer and talking about it, and he was asking me, well, why would you like to keep it and this and that? And he, he actually made a really good point uh, to the fact that, you know, we want to respect it. Obviously. Well, yeah, but I mean, technically, I don't think there's anything really legal he could do for us to, to make us change it. But he made up a great point where, well, you're still probably going to be associated with flight tests because everything like all their planes and everything is FT, you know, the FT Sportster, yep. the FT this, the FT that, you know, FT is associated with flight, flight tests. tests. And I didn't really think about it. At Legally that, it isn't, but well, the mindset of the consumers it correct. is. Correct. And, and everybody that knows flight tests knows that FT is associated flight with flight tests. Yeah. So 
with us trying to maybe do more of our own thing and going that route, I kind of made sense. We're like, yeah, that is kind of stupid in a way, you know, to keep in the FT because we're still would be kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Am I making any sense here? Well, the I'm reason like, we were going to oh, we do like flying time after hours yeah, or something. Right. But, we were going to keep the just, FT. Just because it has a good ring to it more so yes. than trying to herd, you know, whatever. Right. right. You know. Right. So it was kind of a group thing. It was a hard decision on what to come up with and what was available. That's the other question, you know, on all the social sure. media platforms. And really the only thing that kind of stuck out a little bit for us was RC after hours just for radio control because who knows down the road, you know, I I'm gonna be driving trucks, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we don't know. Andre's exactly. already looking at trucks. He had nine hundred text messages yesterday. I'm putting my stuff for sale. I'm going to the hobby shop. I'm looking for trucks. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've I've been there. I've heard it. You know, Boats, so, trucks, or yeah, whatever. You but never you know. never know. We exactly. might, maybe we're going to expand. Because that nice lake you introduced me to, I'm like, hmm, maybe a boat even. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got our hands on one. You could see it zip across that and calm lake. I kind of bring it back to the RC sailors a little bit. Like, they do a little bit of everything. They love everything RC. Cars, yes. trucks, boats. Nerf tanks, whatever. Nerf, yeah, whatever. <laughs> not, not saying that we we will. I don't know. I know. I, I don't know. know. I know. But at least we have We have an open, for, open ground for it now. Right. Right. So on the next podcast, uh, oh, I guess I'll throw this out there now. Um, it's being set up as we speak. So everybody listening or if you know people that l- like to listen to the podcast, make sure you get the word uh, spread out. You will not find the next uh, podcast. Oop, let me get that off of there. Um, on the flight test platform for podcasts so yeah. like if you you know a lot of you are subscribers on whether you go through itunes or stitcher yeah, if you go to their podcast menu, yes we will no longer appear correct in the, the, we're number, n- the numbering system yes. that they're doing with their podcast yeah. um it's not going to be on there so you won't find us and if you subscribe to us the next podcast won't be on there so you'll have to go search out rc after hours on whatever platform you listen to itunes whatever and resubscribe and get us on there and we're hoping we'll, to retain as many yeah. of you listeners as we possibly can right. and we'll try to keep that information right. out there right uh spread the word and it, it is ahead. also it is also better because um in the flight stefan stefan stepped up big time and mm-hmm. they're doing a weekly podcast and Correct. there was there was some comments going like well now i can't tell what's an after hours podcast yeah. and what's an ft podcast so this is this is just better this is actually we're adding more content we're adding more and variety we can, we can get um, the questions so, more uh, not you know a mixture of things because we're not so involved with what flight test is doing despite our efforts sometimes so it, this way we can answer our own content keep things a little more separated like you were pointing out right and a lot of people don't realize that i mean yeah we still talk to the guys we're great a little friends bit with them, yeah yes. great friends we've known them for you know five or six years but the problem is we're not like down at the shop anymore. yeah we just don't we don't have the interaction no that we, that we love yeah you know? right and you know, Mike, like it's just because everyone's busy more, more so than not. I mean, that's honestly the reasoning, too. Yeah. From and, what I've seen. And that's their day job. You know, that's what they do every day. So it's not like we have our usual shoots on the weekends where everybody got together yeah, and hang out and did all the flying afterwards. As much as we love that, things kind of went different directions. Yeah, so which is I totally it's get part it. of life. Yeah, I, guess, so. I, I understand it. And we would get a lot of questions about what was going on at flight test. And we're like, and we're like. 
I don't know. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I was finding out stuff through social media that people found out before I even it's knew what was going on. It's hard to keep up. They grew so exponentially. Just like even me, I was a regular viewer of every episode. And it's like, I can't even keep up with all their content. They're doing yeah. it on an everyday basis, full-time jobs. Yeah. And like you said, we're, we're, we come home in the evenings and that's hence the after hours type thing. So right. I can only get little Party. bits and pieces there. You yeah. Know? So... Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what it goes. Like I said, the next podcast will be our first RC After Hours podcast on the new platform. We're, ho- we're hopefully going to have a website up for you guys and get the information out there. Um, I think that's about it for right now. We'll let you know what we're wanting to do or we're going to try to do and see if it works out. we got some ideas and things we want to work on. I don't know. Could be better, could be worse. We'll, we'll find out. So... Um, all right, enough of that. Let's have a little fun. I, you know, we got some other stuff we can talk about. Uh, let's see. What kind of truck did you get, Andre? That's my first question. What? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. It bugs the crap out of me how expensive those things are, man. Holy I, moly. I, yeah. I told you. And the thing with the trucks and the cars, and I have some. I, I still like them. My kids still drive them, is you – not only are they expensive is you do a lot of work on those things. Like my boys will take yeah. them out, drive them for five minutes, smash them into a tree. And then uh. you're tearing them all apart, changing parts, changing arms, whatever, ripping out, you know, they're tearing out spur gears, this and that, you know, more so than aerial craft. Huh? Oh, way more. Oh, yeah. That's hard way, to believe. That's hard to believe. Cause way more you think you fall from the sky, you're going to do more damage. Not necessarily. <laughs> than <hitting> a tree. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not into the, what is that? What is that? That's a micro sky hunter. So I'm going to turn this thing into a sub 250 gram airplane. (laughs) (laughs) That's my new mission in life. Everything's going to be lightweight. Uh, So that's, uh, this was me testing our, my uh, delivery issues with Banggood. So uh, basically, you know, it's nice little, you know, pusher style and everything. So Mm -hmm. we'll we'll see how it goes. So you're going to have that all set up with FPV then? Yeah, of course. Jeez, one of my crazy. Um, but uh, I'm gonna. Hey, I'm gonna swap. isn't that I isn't, a, Mike? Isn't that illegal in Canada? Isn't that illegal in Canada? I don't think you're allowed well, to do well, that. What we have Andre. to do is kill all the animals in 75 meters, and then we can fly. <laughs> so, so I and of course, you know, while I was building this, none of this, this none of this was on the radar, right? So I put a big honking motor in there and a big mm-hmm. ESC, and now it's like, well, I'm gonna go in the exact opposite direction. Actually, I want to see if I can make this thing go down onto a 2s power setup you know throw like a 1704 or something like this onto it and just see if actually if it would fly under 2s because that would be hilarious just for just for the experiment and um of course i've got my uh you know my multi rc uh, shenanigans 150 milligram and uh milligram mil a mil, mil, <laughs> um yeah mike yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wake up. Uh, anyway, talking, <laughs> talking to Mark about about the stuff from Multi RC. He's actually um, they're working the two the sub two hundred fifty gram zone. I think is going to explode this mm-hmm. year because you've got flight controllers. You know, everything is kind of taking these steps from uh, you know the micro stuff like the like the the inductrix and stuff. But like now, I can pick up a flight controller with an integrated FR Sky receiver for for the same price as a normal. Uh, you know, F3X, I don't know what, what the acronyms are anymore for, for the flight controllers. 
But the point is, you know, at one point we were so against integration, but the benefit of integration is less weight. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you can now get a, you know, you can now get an e, e, ESC bundle in the size of, you know, that says it's the same form factor as your flight controller. So everything can get condensed, you know, essentially we're looking, you know, at smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and of course, um, Flight Test made that re- announcement earlier this week or last week that, you know, the, their FT Gremlin, which is using the Emacs brushless system, you know, mm-hmm. for, for micro quads. So holy moly. So, you know. I don't know. And they look cool. You know, I never really looked at it that way until Brendan actually explained it. You know, we're all against it. 250 thing. Like, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, that was blah, back. Blah, blah, blah. That was back when we were uh, registering, you know, and I think we kind of lost track of what, what we were saying. But like he said, it's on track that it's just keeping you from putting an FAA. Sticker, yeah. If, if you got. Anything back else then, that was our it. goal, though, because we were we we're so afraid of them right. having information about us. And yeah, things, so things have changed for sure. Yeah, because and really, if you happen. have anything over that, you got to be registered anyway. So yeah. what's the what's yeah, exactly. the point? So ah, that's funny. All right, uh, a couple of things. I I got some notes here. A few things we can talk about, and then I think I got a couple emails and questions and stuff we can sort through. First off, Mike, I wanted to. Talk. I saw you sent me a link about something. Did that I? What cool. I send it? I the forget blade, the blade one. Oh time. yeah, that the, was yeah, pretty. Yeah. I thought it was as small as the Inductrix for whatever reason. It is a slightly larger because of the brushless. Mm-hmm. But it looked pretty sweet. I don't know. Go ahead though with. Um, first thing I wanted to talk about. I've been wanting these. One of these for a while is Hobby King had the uh, ME one sixty three Comet, and it's the <laughs> one where you 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 can actually put a little rocket in the in the end of it and you can light it you know and it'll shoot it goes around but it actually flies very well my problem with it was was the color scheme you know i had the camo color scheme it's only i even forget the wingspan might be high 20s low 30s inch wingspan it's not very big it almost looks like a bullet with wings right super fast and watching the videos i'm like ah man it's just one of those things where you get out there a little ways and you go to turn and the sun's over there and you're like, I don't know where I'm going, what direction. <laughs> it's camouflage. You're going to get up around it's the trees and you're not going to know. You know what I'm saying? So I was kind of like, eh, I, I think I'll pass, right? Well, now they maybe they thought the same thing. They're like, How, what can we do to improve this thing a little bit? Well, a couple things. One, Color scheme. they upped the motor in the ESC and made it faster. Two, they redid what this thing does, Mike, it has no landing gear. It's kind of like the original. It has a carriage on it. So it has a little carriage with wheels on it, and you put the aircraft on top of it, and you take off, and when it gets enough airspeed, it just flies right off the carriage, and, and you go, right? Pretty cool. Well, it was narrow and had smaller wheels, and people were having a little trouble and blah, blah, blah. So they made it bigger. So now you got a better undercarriage, bigger motor, bigger ESC, can fly on four cells, probably do over 100 miles an hour, unlimited vertical, obviously, but the best thing about is they made it red, all red. And what I was finding out of watching, uh, maybe it was the daily, it was rather interesting, is when they actually made one of these and were testing it, they painted it red for, uh, uh, what do you want to say, for, from the Red Baron from World War One. Okay. Just for uh, a different scheme. Honoring them, yeah. right? Okay. But they didn't keep it in red. From my understanding is they painted it red, they flew it, did some test stuff, landed it and then put it back into the camo scheme so if you get a chance mike you ought to go check it out it's the durafly 
ME163 Comet. And oh man, I just want to get I'm one. I'm a little confused by this carriage thing. So you have to take off a pavement or something? Uh, no, they were taking off on grass, short grass. You know, the wheels are big. It's like and a it skateboard. Just, yeah, exactly. How right. does it stay on there though? I mean, it doesn't. Do you have a release mechanism? No, it just, something? once it gets enough airspeed, it lifts right off of the carriage. Yeah, but I don't know how it's staying on the carriage to get to that level. It's just clipped in kind of thing, but it's it's huh. there's no release. So if you pick up the airplane, I'm it falls off. It. It's yeah. just sitting on top of this thing. I'm going to have to watch and, that. You know, yeah. And then you, you put a little rocket in. It's got a motor. It's got a hot motor set up for S. You know, it mm-hmm. just goes. So when At first, when you were talking about rockets, my buddy at work was showing me these little rockets he made out of matchsticks. Have you ever seen that where you roll up like aluminum foil to make the... No. The tube. No. It's pretty cool. And they go like 75 years. He's like, man, if you could put those on your planes, <laughs> you'd have reusable <laughs> missiles. <laughs> you could rebuild them. They're real. I mean, it was cool. I don't know. I think you put like three or four match heads in it. And he, this guy, he analyzed which matchsticks were the best and all this stuff. It, it was pretty cool to see that. Though. And, you, and you like ignite it off like a coat hanger or something. That's the rod it sits on. But, really? I'll show you sometime. I remember all, it, it was pretty cool. He said he made them when he was a kid, and he was surprised to see that people are still still doing that and improving on it. But he's like, man, if you could make those somehow missiles on your planes to shoot off, that'd be funny, these aluminum. Yeah, because that, that, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. They're not. They're not they're, yeah. They're, yeah, something else highly illegal. They're coming off the plane. <laughs> it's aluminum foil. If it hits you, it's just going to crumble. It's not like it's dangerous. And maybe poke your eye out. You might want to wear a goggle or something. It'd be like a Nerf dart, you know? I don't oh, think it'd be man. that bad. It'd look better, though, than a Nerf dart. So why we're kind of on the subject of being under... 250 grams. I wanted to throw this out here. I just thought it was kind of interesting and I found it on the, a news site. An Australian company uh, is releasing a sub micro 100 gram flying FPV wing. And I'll read it. It says If you need a claim 25 minute endurance in an FAA registration beating 100 gram package, then the Corvo micro is for you. I doubt it'll come cheap. It delivers a simple and safe autonomous surveillance capability. The sub 100 gram takeoff weight enables safe operation over populous areas. It is, it says, ruggedized. I didn't even know that was a word. Ruggedized, weatherproof, and ultra compact. Ready to perform in any environment, anytime, anywhere. Quiet, difficult to detect even at low operating altitudes, day and night payload, slingshot launch system, minimum space required to launch and recover, real-time FMV with KLV media data, ground-based advanced video processing. 25-minute flight time, 99 grams in weight, uh, 320 millimeter wingspan. You can either, uh, has a handheld slingshot, belly landing. Um, so yeah. That's the uh, Corvo Micro 100 gram flying wing. That's rather interesting. They're getting smaller, Mike. Everything's getting smaller. And you said, Chris, you said you were quite interested in the uh, the uh, uh, the Vortex 150. Yeah, I'm really, really interested. I think I'm going to end up purchasing one of them. I was, I was wait, kind of waiting to see, uh, I think it was last week, Blade threw out a little thing and I actually had a hard time finding it, but they threw out a little thing like, oh, you wait and see next Thursday, because Horizon Hobby always does yeah. their, their releases usually on Thursdays. 
So they were like, oh, we got a big release, blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of waiting to see, and we were all guessing. Andre hit it right on the right, the nail right on the head that it was probably going to be some kind of brushless quadcopter, inductrix type something, which it was. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So I was just kind of waiting. And once that came out and I seen what it was and everything, I'm still, I think I'm going to go back to the Vortex, to the Vortex 150. Yeah. So in that way, I got a little quadcopter I can crank around and, you know, we can go out and you can fly the, the baby or the uh, mini tri. Um, okay. Here's another story. Let me pull it up real, real quick. I wanted to talk about, I think we might have mentioned, no, it was on my list on the last podcast and I completely forgot about it. Um, Mike, but did you hear about the Karma drone that flew through the window? No, I did not. Oh yeah. Let me pull this up. Um, so anyway, I, it just said drone fly. Oh, what What's do you got there, Andre? Here, let me let, show everybody what you got. What That's is my that? answer. That's the... Multi-RC? Yeah, that's the shenanigans. Well, we're talking about 150 you know, that's 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 my little. That's gonna be my. That's got a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> well, you know, oh, it flies, wow. it goes. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Oh I'm no no, scrolling. I was pulling up the story anyway, so it's not a big deal. Oh okay, so yeah, that's the multi RC shenanigans, 150 uh, millimeter frame there. So that one does with a 3s 800 does weigh in at under 250 grams. All right, so this was actually on February 26th. Like I said, this was it, it for anybody behind the scenes. They usually have some kind of li- not always, and we get, always get off on ta- topic. But I usually have some kind of list we want to talk through or whatever. Half the time when we're done podcasting after two hours, I have half the lift list is <laughs> left over because we never get to it. And this was one of them, and I, I wish we would have, but uh, whatever. So it says a GoPro. Now listen, GoPro <laughs> Karma drone. Which I thought they disabled all those. Well, they came. Well, they came back. They were here and then gone, and (laughs) now they're back. So, like a cat. Like a cat. Says a GoPro drone crashed through a Manhattan woman's twenty seventh floor. When I mean, the guy's not supposed to be flying in Manhattan anyway. Oh, right. Seven twenty seventh floor window and landed just. Uh, at her feet as she was sitting in the living room enjoying a quiet evening at home, police sources said Sunday. The 66-year-old resident was working on her computer inside her East River high-rise when the hobbycraft smashed through the window at about 5.45 p.m., according to the sources. The one-by-one-foot device, which has a 10-inch propeller and a camera, landed on the floor just four feet away from her, the cop said. Poor lady, she's lucky she wasn't killed, said Stephanie Bowman, 23, who was just visiting her boyfriend at the apartment 11 floors below at the time. Police on Sunday were investigating who owns a drone, a remote-controlled 2.2-pound GoPro Karma quadcopter model, and where it came from. The Federal Aviation Administration also plans to look into it. Says if the owner registered the device with the FAA, which is legally required for recreational drones between 50 0.55 and 55 pounds, it should be traced back to the owner, sources said. Police may also be able to use the serial number located on the base and the battery of the drone to track down who it belongs yeah. to. Wow, they're going to go. Because I highly doubt it had the FAA. Yeah, I highly <laughs> doubt that too, that if he was in Manhattan. First of all, you knew he was illegal. Yeah. Why would you put, you your, put your no. sticker on there? No, no. He's gone. <laughs> Says flying drones recreation is banned in Manhattan and nearly everywhere else in the city except for the five outer borough parks, according to the Parks Department. 
So there you have it, the drone going through the window. So this reminds me, like, this isn't a DJI. This is someone went to Best Buy, bought a GoPro Karma, and just started flying it is what we're thinking. I mean, that's my mindset, yeah. and I don't know and all the details, but that's that, kind of to your point earlier, even. Mike, people can go buy these things and fly them yes. as they wish. And Mike Finley just brought up a great point. The first thing that came to mind was Casey Neistat, because he did have a Karma drone, and he's kind of in New York City. <laughs> And he, you know, has already had how many flowers? Not, uh, I'm not saying that yeah. it was. I'm not saying that it was. <laughs> but but yeah. it's a good point. That that's the first thing that came Come to, to mind. mind. <laughs> Casey Neistat. Good was, point, yeah. Michael. <laughs> Very good point, Michael Finley. Uh, we're all just waiting for that crash to happen, aren't we? <sighs> yeah. That nightmare. So there you have it. Gar- yeah, GoPro Karma drone through the window in New York City. Now, see, this is it amazes me that he actually busted those windows because those windows are like so like shock absorber. You yeah. know what I mean? I just can't even believe it busted that window. Yeah, usually so far up, they're pretty. Yeah, they like you can't people, just run and yes. jump out the window. You know, yes. if a body can't break the window, how is this two and a half pound quad breaking the window? It must have been like you know, like a ball peen hammer where you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like there's that certain hit, right? Well, they'll fracture. A window. First thing sticking out of the front the there props, is, like, is yeah. the well, well the, the camera GoPro, okay. the GoPro sticking way out. So front. it's like a ball peen hammer, yeah. probably. I don't know. It just seems kind of funny. And I didn't think those windows I, would, I would break th- under that. I would think he would be flying at FPV. I don't know, but yeah, if he would, they think. think they could get the camera too and look at the footage you know, where he took off from. Yeah. Well, it's a GoPro, so what's the first footage you get on a GoPro? Your face it, as you yes, turn the thing yeah. on, right? Yeah. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> be interesting to see if they Casey actually release the details on that one, right? <laughs> People are going to start wearing face masks before they fire up their quadcopters anymore, right? Ski mask. Yeah, ski mask. <laughs> Big ski mask says, can't see I'll, me. I'll have my hunting mask. Yeah, your camo on. <laughs> yeah, but then you'll laugh and we'll know. That's what I should do. Put on my camouflage mask and put my goggles on front of it. That would look so cool. Because yeah, that, that's going to help the hobby. Thanks. Yeah, great. That'll help the hobby, right? <laughs> Uh, oh, could you imagine going to Jackson with a like a hunting mask on and goggles? People would be looking at you like, okay, this, they would have the cops on you right now, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, next thing I actually found, I think it might have been on Facebook. Uh, Andre, did you see the thing about uh, one guy's got an idea about a circular runway? Have you seen this? Yes. Have yes, you seen that this, was Mike? Awesome. I mean. I don't know. I, I guess it would work, but I'm like kind of on the fence. What happens when it snows? So what do you do? Taxi in circles till you left? Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a giant NASCAR track. It is, uh, and it's actually banked. They have a bank, but I don't know. It just... I don't, uh, oh, this is for cars, obviously. No. No. This is no. for airplanes. What? Circular runway. Here, here's a picture of it. I'll show you a picture of it, and we'll talk about I'm it. I'm really struggling with imaging. Isn't that – there's some videos out there, too, they, where they depict – now, I think it's my like, understanding – What? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, which way is the wind direction coming from before well, we can Well, that's what they that's said. Like, that, that said it doesn't matter. Wherever the wind is, you Yeah, but can, you don't have it long enough straight away. That's, but I guess the runway's so kind of big, it, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. I don't get it. <laughs> It is kind of crazy. You could, do, you could do an X and be just as good. So the pilot is trying to bring. Oh, that wingtip's too low. I got to, you know, like what? Well, now am I going straight? You know, <laughs> uh, and then 
what happens if there's like ice and snow buildup on the runway? What happens then? You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, know. I kind of like the X patterns myself, or yeah. cross patterns. But we'll I, we'll talk about it. I'll read it and we'll see what everybody thinks about this. It says, "Welcome to our project site. The lack of." Capacity at airports is a major constraint growth in the air transport. Current technology projects optimize the use of available airport capacity, but but unless a struct, structural new approach is followed, the expected threefold increase in air traffic is not real, realistic to achieve. Physical constraints on runway operations like wake vortexes, separation minimums, uh, cross and tailwind limits make it hard to improve performance at a conventional airport configurations. The endless... Runway is a radical and novel airport concept which applies a circular runway. The concept of the endless runway can generate a breakthrough in sustainable airport capacity by avoiding the physical constraints of conventional runways through shifting and liftoff and touchdown points of individual aircraft. The main feature of the circular runway is that it will become possible to let an aircraft operate always at landing and takeoff with the headwind. Wasn't that your question, Mike? Mm-hmm. Whatever its strength and direction, the endless runway becomes independent of the wind when allowing limited crosswind airspace users can shorten the global tra- trajectory of the flights through optimized departure and arrival routes. The circle of the runway whose diameter is set to three kilometers is large enough to provide sufficient room for infrastructure, preferably inside the circle, even for a hub airport. This makes the airport compact while allowing current day aircraft to use the circle without significant structural modifications. And the video I was watching too is Where like, was this at? I, uh, I forget where it oh, said. No. Well, go ahead. It's in uh, Europe. Yeah, it's in Europe. Okay. That's, um, but one thing they were talking in the video is like, you know how a lot of times uh, you have to wait in line to take off or sometimes they make you circle whatever to land. Well, with the circle thing, they said there's you don't have that. You know, you got one aircraft kind of taken off on this side, and you can get these aircraft over here to to land on this side, and you know, takes I'm, less, I'm thinking the wind direction is always the same, so you're still going to have that same traffic landing and taking off in the same direction. You can't have one on one side of the circle and one on the other with wind direction. Sure, you can. Yeah, because sure. it'd be like a parallel runway in in some aspects. Yeah, but the wind is coming from one direction. Don't you land in the headwind as yes. well, and you take off yeah, in headwind? If you're if you're in the but circle, you're coming though, into it. yeah. If this circle's like this, and the wind's going this way, you could take off or land this side, or take off and land on the other side. Does that make sense to you? You you have to you have to to look at yeah, a giant circle, yes. not not like a little one where you're going. Around, <laughs> you know, you don't have to go around the circle three times to take off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're optimizing there, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. it's a giant circle, huge. All right, but so you have parallel. Right. Yeah, but well, I guess their thing is instead of having two huge long runways or, or intersecting runways or parallel runways, you're still getting the same distance in runways, but it's in that circle pattern, and you're using less land, mm-hmm. you know, and and supposedly uh, less noise restriction and like they said, less for, you know, all that stuff. Supposedly. It's just hard to believe with a perfect circle like that, that there's enough room, but they're saying they're, they're able to minimize their takeoff and landoff because you are ideally with the wind whatever the wind direction is, you're ideal to it. So it's going to work with You're you're able to take off right to your heading, Mike. So instead of, okay, I take off and I got to do this big banking. So you don't need the longer runway typically that you're used to. So I kind of shouldn't have the crosswind, you know, some of these, Things you have to fight yeah. against. How many times have you hopped on YouTube and watched the crosswind landing? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're skidding down the runway yeah. in a 737. Yeah. You know, 
So no, it makes sense. I just did, I I can't foresee. It's hard for me to imagine that big of a circle. I guess was the first was the first thing I struggled with. I did too. Till I watched the video, yeah. and once you see the video and they kind of depict the you know seven forty seven on yeah. this giant bank kind of circle runway, you know. I can't believe it's banked though. That that kind of still it was banked. With me. Yeah, and and it wasn't radically no, no not radical not. but supposedly it kind of counteracts that little bit of going around the circle of the forces you yeah. know what i mean okay i don't know i just thought it was rather interesting and i think i could be wrong here but i think somewhere maybe 40s 50s 60s the, uh they tried that here i think in the states or, or they were talking about a circle runway but it never uh never material materialized imagine air shows Okay, explain that to me. What, what he's sitting well, in the center. He's in the center. An air show. You're in the middle of the pat. You're in the middle of the the hub, and the planes are taking off. You could like they could have multiple demonstrations going on. Yeah, It'd just be true. phenomenal. That's true. That's a good point. Didn't think about that. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I thought it was just kind of funny a circle runway. Which is the first thing you say. Oh, circle runway. You're like, yeah, you're retarded. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, I it's know. a big circle. That's all I got to keep mindful of. You know, I'm sitting here looking. I got the, uh, I took the mystique down off the ceiling and I put yeah, up I the Radiant XL. I, I just that. hope that thing stays up. Yeah, I can't believe how much heavier that Radiant XL is compared to the mystique. To I was the... shocked. Why? Huh? <laughs> well, yeah. Slightly but I mean, the mystique's bigger, you know, I don't know. But they fly pretty yeah, similar, but... surprising. It's just crazy, you know, different design and weight and everything. But yeah, whatever, that's a whole other subject. Off topic, off topic. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, okay, let's get into the uh, the new little quadcopter, Mike. Tell me what you think. Have you seen it yet? The little torrent? You don't torrent. know anything about it. Torrent. You're lost, aren't you? Well, I was, I'm so thinking about well, that Blade Mike, 110. Mike, Mike, you didn't read the show notes? <laughs> no, sorry. He's like a typical co-host. He gets here at uh, you know eight thirty-one, sits down. Let's go. Where's the donuts? I could probably throw it up on the screen for you. That Mike, sounds familiar. Want. Torrent. Well, no, it's brand new. All right, Andre. Yeah. No, I know it's brand I new, did, but I think I did see something. He must have shot my way. All right, Mike or uh, Andre, explain to Mike what the torrent is, and I'll try to put it up on the screen for him. All right, Mike. Basically. It is a plus-size brushless inductrix, to put it bluntly. Um, basically, they've run in, and it's a – it is 100 – that's 150 milliwatt. I'm trying to find – it's 110 millimeters, hence the Torrent 110, but it's a brushless quad. Um, so that so seems like the, the smallest they can go is 110 because that's what Blade did and that as far as keeping the brushless. It seems to be. That seems to be the, the smallest hot technology number. that they yeah. can get with brushless. Yeah. Right, right. I, you know, they've got to support the motors. Uh, yep. It's a tri-blade. I'm trying to find – it's got the, you know, 4 and one ESC and prop cards. I'm trying to find what the motors are. It looks nicer than page. the Blade but one. It will run on 3S, which like is pretty cool. Yeah, they uh, said you know, uh, 2 or 3S, right? Yeah, 450 milli uh, uh, 3S or an 800 2S, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Actually, it's I think that the 800 on the 2S is probably just to deal with the heat that those motors pull off. Um, what are those motors? Typically, they 3S say. they said was for outside use, and then you tame it down 2S for in- here's, indoor. But here's my question, Andre, that I would like to know, and 
So if you're flying it on a three cell 450, now I said the approximate flight time is three to four minutes, which is all seems to be typical in all these little tiny race quads or freestyle quads. Yeah. They don't seem to change. So if you're going to throw an 800 milliamp two cell on there, are you going to be just winding those motors way out to get it to fly the same on that two cell and suck as much battery juice through there that you're still only going to get three or four minutes or you think it's going to be a little bit better on two cell with just not the the punch and everything because i'm guessing i think it's going to go ahead it's going to be yeah it's going to be the same principle as like our 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 warbirds when we're flying 3s or 4s you know you're getting more scale so Mm -hmm. so yeah your your response time will be a little less now my issue with something like this sure i i think you would fly this you wouldn't fly this in the house you would fly this in an indoor event uh, because you're looking at a carbon fri- fiber frame, and uh, I think those are metal prop guards. So you know, if you go flying into a wall, it's gonna it's gonna leave a mark. <laughs> so I didn't realize. Um, I think those. Oh, here we go. They are 1104 7600 kV motors. So um, we saw Emax and flight test, like I mentioned earlier. They're releasing Emax has got a brushless set. So this is basically where they're going. It's funny because um, I have a set of 1104s. I don't think they're this high kV, but uh, I think the trick is is that the ESCs and the flight controllers have come a long way. Oh, now for you sure. Get your, you know, I did. You know, I, actually, I'm kind of surprised. They have oh that's the video transmitter so it's a 150 watt transmitter so you know you're you're basically you know in a 600 TV line uh, camera with 120 uh, degree view field of view so it's it's a grown up version of the Inductrix if you wanna if you wanna be blunt um, which is pretty cool but you get a telemetry receiver you get some different color options and I think it was 200 US new so that's mm-hmm. not bad it's not a bad you price. Know, no, because the the yeah, what was the other is, color option? Because I think I was looking uh, at those. Color red, red, green. Sorry, yellow. sorry, black, yellow, and blue. Black, yellow, blue. Yep. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. You have to excuse me. I'm a little slow. <laughs> I thought. All right. First of all, yes, I know. I didn't know the name was Torrent. Mm-hmm. I obviously knew about the Blade One Ten, which is one and the same thing. Now. Yeah. I'm back on page here. Um, I think the reason I was confused is my buddy was looking at some Hubson stuff, and yeah. I got I got those two things confused for whatever reason because I was like he was looking at a white red one, but anyways, I just want to let the viewers know that I was confused. Yes, I did see the the thing the link you sent me on this. I thought this was awesome. It was smaller scale brushless. I, it just, yeah. yes, it's pretty. pretty it's just, cool. I think it's the same power system they're using on all their brushless planes. You know, they've just, you know, it's it's the the eleven oh four motor seems to be our uh, the you know this is going to be the gateway that's going to take us from the brush systems to the brushless. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, they're a little bigger and everything, but this is what we've been looking for. And it's you know like the ESE boards are they look awesome. Um, it does look really well. Well, that's just nice that you have it all contained. Well, now, the the annoying thing is, if the board goes poof, well, then it's you know you're down. Yeah, Even right. if you just lost yes. one ESC, yeah. you have to go and replace everything. But uh, you know who knows how now, much the uh, you're parts still are. on board for the Vortex well, 150 I, as opposed I, to this I item. I think that's what I'm I'm asking. I'm kind of asking because I don't know. That's I mean, why I was going to ask you. Does this entice I, you I, at it all? It does or? entice me. But like, here's the thing. But like Andre's point, like with I assume the Vortex 150, you have separate ESCs. It's more. Yeah. Uh, it's more uh, traditional. It's it's more of a high end racing slash fpv quad would you fly that indoors no no so you would this 
I'm on the fence with this indoors for me. Now this has the protected props. It does. The, uh, prop guard. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's a metal it's a metal and carbon, carbon. fiber yeah, setup. Yeah. So right. when you bounce your inductrix off your 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 upstairs you know kitchen, you know your wife isn't going to go. Well, she'll yell at you, but she's not going to go. What the heck did you just leave a scar in? Yeah, typically you know, the, the thing the you might prop take a little bit take more damage. through. Yeah, I don't think I would fly this in the house this personally. One? No. I really don't. Oh, I am. Are you serious? <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, don't get me I'll wrong. I'll deal with I, the punishment. If, if we can, I would love to, to get one and test it, and it would be really cool to get have a, a Vortex 150 and just compare the two. I mean, because what was this? Two hundred. It's a $100 price difference between the two. Can you go down to the picture? Because that battery looks so huge under it. Yeah. Uh, which one? Or do you want to go to the, the regular two pictures? I can I can go back to the pictures here. They I don't know if they someone. show the battery actually. They, uh, they did here some, right there. Oh yeah, see to me that that looks crazy. That big battery under there. Well, I don't think they have a choice. I mean, does it, go, I know, eh, but you can put it on top. Nah, I think that's okay. A lot of them put them on the bottom. They eh, just kind of like mm, when you take off their. Nah, the flight controllers are so good nowadays with stabilization that you know. But see, that's kind of my dilemma. I just want something to go tool around my yard and out the back and, and have something or if we go out to the field and you're flying the mini try, I can go crank around. And I know the Vortex 150 would have no problem doing that. Yeah. But then there's this too to where if I just want to sit out on my front porch and tool around through the trees or even the backyard, you know, I, it looks like this is very capable of doing that, you know, and it, it, it is smaller. The batteries obviously would be cheaper. So I'm on the what, what battery capacity is the one Vortex 150? Uh, it's is a it, four cell. Oh, it's four cell. Yeah, you're gonna have a lot more punch with that. Uh, five to eight hundred milliamp on the yeah. And I was Andre, I was pricing those batteries on the four cell on like the eight hundred milliamps. <sighs> They're not cheap. I thought yeah. for sure they'd no, be a lot cheaper. You're like twenty bucks a battery. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like there's once you drop below the 1300 threshold, there is no, there doesn't seem to be a price savings. Uh, and I think it's just, you know, the What's technology the is harder to produce because it's small. Oh, they're probably, a, they're high C, I would think. Mm, I don't know if they, I'm guessing burn, you probably don't have to, anything above a 30 C or 40 C is probably fine. They show it with a 30, 30 C, C there. there you go. There you go, 30C. So it's not like you got to yeah, have this. Yeah, but you this. won't fly it on a 30C. You'll go higher because oh, you yeah, want the yeah. punch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, in a two-cell, well, I'd That's probably go for the three-cell 450. There, yeah, a three-cell 450 battery is probably pretty cheap. But I don't know. But if I want to go out and hit, you know, crank around with you with the Mini Tri, you know, I think the Vortex, I don't see. I need both. <laughs> we'll just solve it right there. <laughs> there and, we'll, uh, and we'll just get both. This does look like a really nice product, though. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's. Uh, it, I think it's for like you, the Vortex is probably better. I think it's going to have more punch and things. Things you're able to fly. Yeah. This to me looks like it could be beginner type, intermediate type quad flying to me. Your buddy that was asking for one, he doesn't have no FPV stuff though, does nah, he? Yeah, and this isn't ready to fly. Is there is a ready fly option on that? Uh, I know it's like two. Which one? The one fifty? Is it the one ten? The torrent. The, the torrent's 110. ready to fly. I mean, not I with a radio and everything. Do they have a ready to? I didn't even look because I never even looked to see if they have a ready to fly version. I'm, I'm willing to bet because if they do it with the Inductrix, why wouldn't they do it with this guy? 
Mm, we'll find out here in I'm, just a second. That's a good question, though, because I'll definitely run it by his, his way. He has no equipment, and it'd be nice, nice to know the price point or the price of a ready I mean, fire that's available. I, I didn't mean, see any transmitter with, like, the, the image on it, did you? And they're no, okay. The, all I see in their site right now is to bind and fly. Okay. But I mean, they just released this the other day. Yeah. So I mean, they just started if, talking about it the other day. So, but if you think so, about it, somebody wants to get into it, they could buy something like this. But they'd have to have the goggles and transmit. Well, right? I know, but you can get a pair yeah, of the but, Hobby King goggles for fifty see, he, bucks. He, that would be tacking up the dollars for him, yeah, anyhow. He's really looking to save whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I got it's you. Tough I guess you're right. He could go with like the. He's uh, getting the Hubson one, I right. think. Which and then has see the, if he likes it. The, it has a what's a 720p camera mm-hmm. and the, on the transmitter. I said, man, I don't know. I guess as an introductory thing, yeah, go ahead and try it. I don't know if he'll be completely satisfied, but yeah. Hmm. All right. Anyway, that's the torrent. So, what do you think, Mike? You gonna get one? Um. <laughs> no, I think I have other things on my plate that I need to get. All right. Well, last thing I wanted to talk about and again but it is interesting because they kind of went the direction we were wanting and asking uh, yes. for before we bought our inductrix obviously yes yes if i didn't have the inductrix yes i would probably have bought that instead more than likely would have bought that right and of course what happened to the internet here i can't get on horizon well the last thing i wanted to talk about um and again it was on my list like a couple podcasts we mentioned we talked a little bit with stewart was the f4f ultra micro wildcat which is just like that in the oh. ultra micro. Ooh. And I can't. Won't come up. Come on. <laughs> Naturally. <clears throat> see if it's Weird. in your new product list here. There it is. I got it. I got it. Um, oh, my gosh. No way. You haven't seen this oh yet? Oh, my gosh. Oh, Mike's way behind. <laughs> I can't keep Where were you? Mike wasn't even on the show last, oh. last time. Yeah. Well, the wildcat. Yeah, that's we had this wild- huge wildcat thing. We talked about it. I, yeah, we talked about these. The regular doing, size, yeah, not doing, the ultra micro. I, know, I didn't yeah, see Yeah, look this. at that, Mike. Is that cool or oh what? Oh my gosh! Like we almost have to have that. That right? one, yes. I'm. I'm. Um, I, I almost need that just sitting beside my my other one. It'd look nice. I like that. So, Horizon brought out the ultra micro F4 wildcat. I don't remember talking. Am I like totally? Things going we we mentioned it with Stuart we, for a little we, while. We, we had a whole conversation yeah. about Wildcats. Wow. Yeah. I must have been like on drugs or something. And, I don't know. you know, when we were talking to Stuart, he brought up a great point because I don't know. If, maybe You know what, Mike? Maybe you weren't there. Maybe that's when I went down and did that podcast and you weren't there. I think that's – you know, he's right, Andre. I think I, – <laughs> We're putting stuff in his head. We <laughs> talked about this when we did the podcast when it was just uh, you and I and Stuart. Huh. Uh, so, anyway, we were talking. I know my memory is bad, but I don't know. We were talking time. about the uh, Ultra Micro stuff and why Hobby King what really hasn't been more involved and why they didn't do more because they've, they've had some you know micro stuff in the past. He's like, well, really, it wasn't a huge seller for us, and Horizon's really got the market for these things on how they're building them and how they look and fly and everything. So he says, we really kind of haven't you know done I too much. One, I want one of those. I'm not kidding. But they've, can you go through the pictures a little? Sure. Again, I love that. Sure. <laughs> Listen to Mike. I want to look at some pictures. So, um, you know, the the detail and what they're doing and how these things are flying. I mean, look at the details oh on gosh. this thing. 
and we're showing it up on the screen here, and it looks just like the Big Brother that they discontinued that we had no reason why. I thought I saw a picture why. with four props. That's three props. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did they differ? Huh. And it has the scale landing gear That's on there right there. You see that? Look at that. Check that out. And that just pops up, you know, so you got the, yeah, the nice belly. belly lander. Oh, man. Uh, it looks fantastic in the air. And I'd probably use it as a belly lander just because that's oh, what I sure, like. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it's, you know, their typical Especially new the Ultra Micro 106 gram flying weight, bind and fly series, 15.5 inches, 394 millimeters foam, 180 Brussels 3000 KV motor, which you're putting on all of them. Wingspan's just uh, 20 inches. So if you're in the Ultra Micro Warbirds, this is probably would be at the top of my list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The problem with the Warbird or the Ultra Micro stuff, I love the Ultra Micro stuff. I've had quite a few different things. If I could fly around my house, like I could just throw a battery in it, walk out the door, fly around. And sometimes I do. Um, not so much the Warbirds, but like the J3 Cub and stuff so a little slower. I can fly in my front yard through the trees and down the the road and this and that they're fun see i probably would make that thing a shelf queen <laughs> that's, that's, what I'm, that's what i'm envisioning for some reason <laughs> go ahead though no i'm just you saying want, you want to I, I would probably buy more and fly more if i had that option but going out to the big flying field it's and like taking eh, a micro yeah. yeah no yeah so i don't know i'm thinking more like and gymnasium flying though that would look sweet for gymnasium flying I don't think you're winter. gonna. I don't think you're gonna fly that inside a gymnasium. Really? No. I think you slow it down. No. Yeah, the the warbirds are still kind of fast, Mike. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. And that's on two S now as well. Yeah, it's not a one S yeah, plane. So. Right. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. He's still looking yeah. at it. He's still thinking. Oh, so you I would know, take yeah. this over the the Torrent One Ten. Too many options. Too many options. Too many options. Hey, and, and Chris, a better you price hadn't point. talked about the other, the other thing they announced. What was the other thing? Did I miss it? The Cessna. The Cessna. Oh, we didn't talk about that last mm -hmm. time. We haven't talked about the Cessna. Did. All right. We, we well, knew let's... it was coming. You speculated. Yeah, you guys got that one right on the money. I thought. All right. <laughs> let me pull that up. What is that? Cessna 150. So right? this is a little larger than gymnasium flying speed. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. For sure. All right. I was more excited. What is going on with Horizon? <clears throat> um, Sunday. No one buys models on Sundays. I guess. Let me see if I can find it. So, yeah, I guess, um, was it last week then? They brought out an all-new E-Flight large-scale Cessna 150. And they were kind carbon of teasing it for a little while. Yeah, the Carbon Z Cessna 150 comes in the bind and fly or the plug and fly. I completely forgot about this plane already. Is that bad? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> mm. yeah. All right. <clears throat> um, it's a beautiful looking airplane. Uh, it looks like it flies amazing out of the videos I've seen, Mike. I have a little thing for Cessna 150s only because I started my flight training in a Cessna. Well, actually a 152, but basically the same thing. Um, but it's not really what I was kind of hoping for. You know, I thought maybe they were going to bring something. We, we were hoping in between the Carbon Z Cub and the Timber, something in that category, which this is even bigger. The specs on this thing are, uh, the weight on it alone is like, Almost 10 pounds, 9.9 .9 or 8.9 pounds. Length is 61.8 inches, 1570 millimeters. 
60 amp ESC, 50 size brushless motor. Takes a Ford. Now, here's a kind of the cool thing. It will take a four to six cell, 4,000 to 7,000 milliamp battery. So you're going to get some serious flying time out of this thing. The wingspan is 83.7 inches. So this is right basically on par with the, the Carbon, Carbon Z, Z Cub. Cub. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again. I'm surprised they did the painted windows. Um, King, fly it on floats, Mike. Let me see. Yeah. Let's run through some pictures here for you. I guess the thing I'm disappointed with is it doesn't have – it's not like a Cessna 170 or a Cessna 180 where you got you know a tail dragger with the big wheels. But, I, you know, I guess they have the Carbon Z Cub. I'm trying to tell myself yeah, yeah. they're trying to do something a little different. So I think the downfall is with the tricycle gear and the wheel pants and everything, you're probably going to have a, have to have a sort of decent runway for this thing. It's not like you're going to take it out in the backcountry. Yeah. I'm sure it'll handle fires. some grass just because the airplane is so, so large. large. Yeah. I'll give you a little perspective of it there. It's oh big. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's bigger than what we were hoping. And they give you the option to go to four to six cell. So I'm guessing on a on a big four cell, this that baby's just going to really cruise around. That's my guess. And again, from the videos, it looks fantastic. Flies fantastic. Of course, the Horizon guys always make it look good anyway. So I'm not that crazy about their decaling on that for whatever reason. I don't know why. I mean, look well, at it's that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the windshield thing was funny, but then I thought, you know what, they did. It was no different than like the carbon cub, and mm -hmm. even the carbon, uh, or the um, you know the 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 fun cub and stuff like that. At least the windshield, the front canopy comes off, and that's how you load the battery. That's it's nice. It's not belly nice loaded feature. like like yes. like the timber. Yep. That's real nice. And I know I heard a lot of people complaining that it didn't have a like open cockpit with clear windows in it. For me personally, yeah, like if flex. it's not yeah, if it's not a balsa plane and you know, this thing's more yep. of a aerobatic sport type flight. I don't really care. You know, once it gets out 10 feet from me, it's, you know, not that big a deal anyway. You know what I like? I'm looking at the uh, the shot where they've got the battery and inside the canopy, they've actually put some plastic in the inside. So when you drop the, the, the hatch open or when you open and close, you're not degrading the foam over time, taking the hatch in and out because that, that contact point, right? Yeah. So that's kind of that nice. Somewhere. Where was that? There's the oh, battery this one shot. Right here. Yeah, yeah. No, no, go down one more. One more. The battery shot. Yeah, mm -hmm. you see the one where they, the big blue battery? Uh, I don't have that picture. It's the bottom left of the of your photos. Bottom left. There That's it, go. right there. There you go. So yep. see, look inside there. They've mm -hmm. inside the uh, inside the cockpit. They've actually lined oh, it with plastic, yeah. which is a really nice idea. Yeah. Because oh, over yeah. time, right? Oh, yeah. You know that hatch, even though it's magnetic, I assume, um, you know that the inside that foam really takes a beating over over a couple of years, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, I agree. That's one spot on the carbon the reinforce, a reinforcement yeah. area there. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really so good So actually idea. Mike Finley popped in, he says his carbon Z had that issue. So yes. um so that's a pretty neat idea. So yep. and, uh, I'm uh you know, it's it's funny. Chris 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 has said he's gonna let me fly his carbon Z in May when I come down and visit. Oh yeah, for sure, because nobody else will fly it. <laughs> I wanna try it. I've never flown anything that big, so I'm like, all right, gotta try it. I wanna know. Yeah, it's it flies. It's great. I love it. 
yeah it's it's a neat airplane if i had to pick between the two of them i think i'd still pick the carbon z because i i prefer uh the rugged landing gear this airplane Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure it takes off in grass and everything Mm -hmm. but i think you would still run into an issue that if you had a rough field this is a rather big airplane to tip over or you know if that front wheel gets caught you're you're you know it's gonna nose over so i'm like "Mm, no i'm gonna go with a tail dragger because they're awesome i agree all right, I think that's all we had for products, right, Andre? That's uh, yeah, that's all, right. all I got. <laughs> all right, let's uh, we'll wrap it up here with some emails. I think there's one crash story in here that hopefully we, we will not uh, give Andre any flashbacks or put him in the mental institution. <laughs> uh, so the first one I have here is from Jim Elliott, and I did see some of these videos, and they were really good, and I don't know much about. Um, as far as if they were Lee or whatever, but he wanted to know if we've seen some of the uh, Orville Dam videos out in California. Did you see any of those? When no. You've heard about the dam that was going to break out in California, and they had some amazing shots of it before, after. Uh, he says, do you think the pilot of the video quad was licensed and registered as an amazing video, which it was. I, I did watch a video, and I really don't know. If you know, I know here a lot of our parks they have stipulations. Obviously, if it's a federal park, you're not allowed to fly in them. Uh, state park, they kind of go. I know here in Ohio, even though on the websites that I could find, there was nothing in there that says that you can't fly quadcopters. But I've always called them and asked them, you know, hey, can I bring it? And everyone I've talked to said absolutely not. They didn't want them there. They don't want you flying them there. So far, I mean, so whether out in California, I'm not a hundred percent sure you know might have been something maybe they they let him fly that they wanted to see the close-up damage you know what was going on or what happened i don't know but it wasn't some amazing video um i think that was for that one uh this is from tim baker uh says I've spent the last few days determining to get a useful print out of my 3D printer that I bought over a year ago and keep getting frustrated with it. My wife hasn't seen me. She might say that it's a blessing. And when she does, I'm muttering and absorbed in trying to solve the latest problems with the printer. I wanted to let you know that I have created a topic on Flight Test Thing Universe Group uh, to get people to share the issues they have come across that aren't in the manual and that stop printing and why things have stopped printing and happening at all. I have found loads of help with tuning once you get the print working, but little to help getting to the stage of passable prints. Is this the right place? Should I be on the flight test site instead? Do you think it is useful? Have you added anything? This is definitely an Andre Mm -hmm. question. And have you (laughs) added anything to it? I've also put together a diary of getting from first print to where I am now. Do you think this would be an interest uh, for an article? Take it away, Andre. <laughs> I did. And Tim, I emailed Tim back. I said, you know what? Let's, uh, I said, I directed him over to the uh, flight test, actually set up a whole CNC 3D printing area in the uh, scratch build uh, section on the form. So I directed him there. And then he was having an issue. Tim said he was having an issue um, where his the head had clogged up. So we, we ran back and forth and uh, got through it. And I think he's back to printing last time I checked. I haven't printed anything myself recently because, uh, well, I just kind of ran into a few issues and I'm resolving those and I'm kind of waiting and seeing what's going on. So, um, 
but uh, the 3D printing community and flight test just kind of exploded. I would have to say, uh, all of a sudden, everybody in their uh, in their uncle is that the right word uh, got a 3D printer. So it's been kind of fun. Um, it's actually almost been overwhelming because you get a lot of questions and a lot of people are doing stuff. But it's fantastic. Um, a lot of people are, are figuring out very quickly how to integrate their 3d printing products into their flight test scratch builds or their flight test planes and everything so that's pretty awesome that's what i really like seeing about the technology and uh i'm i'm still going to try and print one or two more of those lovely 3d lab print planes because Mm -hmm. they are quite nice to fly and watch um and we'll um have to crash one eventually i guess just see what happens (laughs) right so Martin says, "I don't oh, know what you're that. talking about, Andre." <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking speaking of comments, yeah. um, Mike Finley asked me to remind everybody that on March 26th, um, the podcast guys us will be uh, collaborating on their show. Oh, that's and right. That's 8 p.m. Central Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Eastern Time, 7 mm-hmm. p.m. Central, but p.m. So it's going to be kind of weird because Chris and I are usually, you know, we're used to morning shows. So. Yeah. I'll be Mike. getting a case of Red Bull for that podcast that evening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'll be up more in my alley. Are you coming please. over, right? For what, what? What is this again? March 26th, Sunday, oh, yes. 8 so next p.m. Sunday. Yes. We're going to do a podcast with the community. Community cast. cast. So yes, you mentioned it to me. I yeah, did definitely. mention yeah. Yes, that right. I'm on board for okay. it. I got to talk to Michael Finley because he gets me laughing and I, oh my gosh. I know he, that's something he's been wanting to do for right, a while. So, right, right, right. Out of the group. And, and of course, speaking of all that, Flight Test did release the, uh, announce the registration for Flight Fast Ohio in July. Mm. And of course, that that form entry just exploded um, naturally. So, but we're... We're looking forward to this year. I think it's going to be a beer is a better option, according to Patrick Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> then Red Bull. Okay. Yeah. Flight Fest is going to be a um, – I think this year is going to be special. I know we say that about every year, but I'm really looking forward to, to the July event. I mm-hmm. think we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, we're going to get into a lot of trouble. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I just renewed so. my AMA. That's something I did over the weekend. I, they had a two-year deal, so I just went ahead and got two-year membership for the Park Flyer. Yeah, that's usually what I good stuff. Too. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So oh. yeah. All right, I got one last thing, and it's a crash story, one and last. it's good. Hey, it's a good one. All right. Yeah. All right. This is from Russell Albritton. Hopefully, I pronounced that right because I'm terrible at names. Uh, It says, guys, I love the show, especially the crash stories. I'm pretty new to the hobby, but I had one to share. During Christmas of 2015, I received an $80 toy drone with an onboard camera as a gift. I had a blast with it and learned the basics of flying. However, the cheap camera and limited range had me wanting more. The reasonable thing to do would be get a Phantom, but I wanted my challenge. This sounds just like Andre, Mike, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, you ain't listening, but it sounds just like Andre. I'm just going to build my own. <laughs> ain't worth buying a Phantom. <laughs> I wanted my own challenge. My first real quad was going to be a scratch-built photography platform with a Pickhawks FC GPS 3108 motors, 12-inch prop, gimbal, VTX, flight cam, GoPro, OSD, video switcher, and swap between a GoPro and a flight cam. I was going to build it all myself in one month of RC experience. What could go wrong? Should I, 
Should I, should I mention the GoPro was a Christmas gift my wife who thought I would be fun to film the kids with? She was horrified to learn that I was putting my brand new camera on that. <laughs> I assured her that once I had done my research that this thing could land itself if anything went wrong. She reluctantly trusted me with my new GoPro oh, camera. Oh, gosh. So he this reminds me of my age quad experience. So he uh, put a few pictures up here. And remarkably, uh, Andre, if you looked at the pictures, it does look a lot like your uh, quadcopter that you built. And he puts my on My naughty quad? Yeah, that thing. Okay, as silly as this endeavor was, I actually got the thing working like it was supposed to. I just took – it just took a lot of time. And he puts in there a no. lot of time. <laughs> Every single piece required research, soldering, tinkering, and, of course, more time. I had several successful flights, tested out all the systems. I even tested out the return to home feature. It worked great. I programmed my FR Sky to fail safe to return to home and thought it was all done. I did remember getting an RSSI low warning once at close range. It was brief, and I never lost control at all. It was during a turn, and I chalked it up to antenna placement. I didn't think much of it. Besides, it can land itself, right? What can go wrong? It can land itself. Mike, who cares? It'll Mm -hmm. be fine. Oh, boy. One day, while staying at the family's bay house, I wanted to get some pictures of the waterfront. I had never flown near water before, so this is going to be line of sight. Very conservative, short range. I wasn't even going to fly over the water. Right after takeoff, I was right near the edge of the water at about 80 feet high when I heard the RSSI low feature followed immediately by an rssi critical all four motors stopped and it dropped out of the sky by about 30 feet so here's he got his brand think about this brand new all that time all that time and all that effort he gets out there he's doing you know nice little cruise by the water getting some aerial photography and boom the motors just that's it done shut down over water over water so he says it dropped about 30 feet and they came back on. So at that point, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Let's, yeah, let's this bring in. this thing back in, right? It's under control. What could go wrong? So he says after that, it banked around a bit and I realized I had no control over it. It was over the water. It got lower and lower and lower and I was scared to death and I was going to plop it right into the water. But it didn't. It took off climbing next and got out over the water, and I still had no control whatsoever, and I was just watching it fly away. <laughs> Why wasn't my fail-safe working like, like a kid trying to chase a balloon by climbing a ladder I ran down by the pier? I was in full panic mode. I looked around hoping to flag down a boat to chase it. I couldn't control it. Maybe... Maybe if I couldn't control it, I could catch it when it came down. Dumb things go through your head in a panic situation. And at this point, my time, my money, and my GoPro I promised to keep safe were just a tiny speck in the sky over a huge body of salt water. My wife is going to kill me. Oh, my gosh. Why why wasn't the fail-safe working, Mike? Why wasn't the fail-safe working? I had to do something or try something. I figured I'd try to return to home and it didn't do anything, and especially if I lost signal. But maybe if I powered and cycled uh, the power on my Tyrannus, we'll see what happens. Then going to return to home, it might work. It was worth a shot. I watched a tiny speck but couldn't tell if it worked. After a minute, I felt like it was coming back, but it was very hard to tell. I started to lose patience. I turned it back to stability 
stabilized mode and it was sho- I was shocked I had control once again. Hallelujah, he says. After wiggling the sticks a few times to get orientation, I had it on a beeline back to safety. I was a nervous wreck and just wanted to get it back on the ground. I brought it over the ground, descending too fast and overcorrected and popped it back in the air a few, by a few feet. My nerves were shot. I decided the flight was over and I killed the power. It fell hard on into the yard. It hit pretty hard and broke a leg and a few props. I was probably probably the happiest person ever to have something crash. At least I had it in my hands. Flight logs revealed later that it got up to 1,500 feet. (laughs) My wife, who was watching out the window, came out when she heard me cussing. She never realized there was a problem and thought the whole flight was intentional until she saw me. I cussed a little more and took the quad back to my truck. As I pulled the busted quad, as I put the busted quad inside, I noticed the blinking red light of the GoPro. I forgot I was recording all this, and he sent me the YouTube link, and I actually watched the whole thing, and it was like very nerve wracking. <laughs> you could he explained it right down to the detail, just you know hanging out there, getting, and, and then the, the motors, motors quit, kill. and then it took off again. Then you seen it climbing, and then it took off, and it was crazy. So I can't I, believe power and the transmitter back on yeah. is what saved it. I know, isn't that nuts? That's crazy. So I'll, I'll definitely have to link the uh, the video up there, especially at that distance. You wouldn't you would think shutting it the would relink. Off yeah, off. yeah. He said I could write just as much about what went wrong. I think interference from all the components caused a receiver glitch. This shouldn't have been a huge problem, but I only set my sail safe on my receiver and not on the controller. It turns out the pickhawks can tell when the FR Sky receiver loses signal and ignores its input, the same input that was trying to put it in to return to home. It also acts pretty erratically until you switch flight modes again. That flight definitely knocked my RC ego down a few notches. I guess the lesson learned is you should always configure your sail fail safe from the flight controller itself oh my gosh him uh, i couldn't deal with that did that bring back some memories andre yeah great thanks did, <laughs> did, have you really even actually gone out and played around with that thing since nope. no it hangs in the back room uh it's got a nice gimbal it's got a pretty decent flight controller it's got some nice motors and esc and it hangs in the back room i will never fly that thing with that that tech ever again nope never i uh i love my phantom oh that's in a you know in its case with its batteries all in storage mode right now so yeah yeah. so (laughs) russell if you're listening to us out there and we just read your crash story hopefully you do listen to the podcast I'm curious to know what you're going to do. If you're going to kind of stick with this and tinker around with it and get this thing to work and fly, um, or are you just going to say, screw this, sell everything, I'm going to buy a Phantom? (laughs) I don't know. It's rather interesting. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And you know, I, I don't think I've really ever talked to anybody besides our, I can't remember his name. What's, what's Wayne's neighbors? Uh, I'm losing my mind. Oh, the one that lived in front of his house. Who? Is it Andrew? Andrew. Yes. Yes. Andrew is probably the only one that I know of this. Put all that equipment yes, on that thing like that. on that quad and has had successful. He basically has a laptop on right. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's had some really good successful flights with his, I know for sure. But even the day we were down oh, yeah, there, he, had, he had some trouble with yeah. it. Yeah. It dropped. Yeah, yeah. It landed yeah. funny. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. All right, folks. That's it. We're done. Done with the last 
FT After Hours Podcast. And again, if anybody has joined us um, live on Facebook or in case, I don't know, you didn't hear or you want to know, this is the last FT After Hours Podcast. Uh, we are switching over. We're going to be the RC After Hours Podcast. So after this, you will have to search us out on any of the platforms you listen to, iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform. Uh, we're going to switch things over and look for, search for RC After Hours. You should be able to find us. It shouldn't be a problem. Uh, we'll get a website going, get some email going. So we'll get set up here in the next couple of weeks. But we just want to let everybody know. I'm sure you're gonna, you've already seen the change on most of all the social networking stuff. I've slowly been switching everything over. So that's the ordeal. In the next podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about it, what we're going to do, what we hope to do, what we'd like to do. We don't know. That's just options. We'll see how it goes and see if you guys want to still hang out with us. Uh, thanks, Mike, for uh, letting us know we've done a good job. <laughs> At least somebody out there appreciates it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that's it. Thanks for joining us on – what are we on? Facebook Live. Facebook Live. Facebook. <laughs> it seems to be working so it far. pretty well. We're probably going to be sticking to this platform. That way we can kind of take your questions – uh, a little bit better. You can watch us live from any platform and hopefully we can just take this and post this on YouTube if you want to watch it there later in a little better quality. So let us know your feedback though. We're always curious for our listeners what you like. Um, again, next podcast we'll explain more what we want to do. Uh, but I'm always looking for feedback how we can make this better. I don't want it to be stale. I want it to improve it, make it better, do better video grow stuff. It. Yeah, grow it a little bit. So and we'll talk all about that next time. So that's it, folks. Thanks right. for joining us. Thanks, Mike, yes, for coming in, no hanging problem. out. And we filled your head with knowledge today of everything yes. you didn't know about. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Andre, for coming on, hanging out. Thank you to Brandon Schulman for coming on yes. and really kind of explaining things and making a better understanding of some of these rules and regulations that even I didn't realize or I had a you know, different interpretation to. So that's it for this podcast we'll see you next podcast for the first ever rc after hours podcast and hopefully we'll have david on to join us and we'll get his thoughts on some stuff and hopefully he'll be joining us on a more regular basis and we'll let you know what's going on see you, see later. you guys bye see you guys thanks bye